Well, you said it, Chewy. Where did you dig up that old fossil? It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about, fine, it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story when you actually put it into words is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and are dead. But, you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's, a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention of it. And welcome back to Generation Skywalker's Those Old Fossils, Episode 16, Darth Vader. Who am I with this evening? I'm with Stu Skinner. Hello, Stu. Hey, Ninjas. You excited about this rather special episode we've got tonight? I, I am. I am very excited. I just um, just love the Dark Lord. Voldemort. Behave. And I'm also joined by Dan Burgess. Good evening, Dan. How are you? Hello there, all good, mate. Very excited Excellent to talk stuff. to Darth Vader. Yeah, I know it's a favourite of yours for sure. I've got him tattooed on my on my uh, right arm. That's how big of a fan I am. Oh, more on that soon. And Craig, Craig Spivey's joining us to make up the team this evening. Craig, great to see you. How you doing, mate? I'm good. Locked and loaded. Sweet. Prepare the boarding party and set your weapons for stun. So, Lance. Here we are, back again for those old fossils, episode 16. And I'm really excited about this. This is a slight break from the norm now. Those who are new to the show, Generation Skywalker is an all eras, all passions, all Star Wars celebration of our galaxy far, far away. Myself and Stu, we started off on the Vintage Rebellion podcast back in 2014, but moved on a few years back. But Generation Skywalker has enabled us to expand our field of view, and along with Dan and Craig and a plethora of extra guests, we've delved deeply into a mixture of vintage shows and modern. But we've also explored TV shows, the original trailers, beer-tasting episodes, yes, Star Wars beers, commentaries, book months, and even Attack of the Clones special. We've got blogs, unboxings, and pretty much every show has been enhanced. But the main two series from Generation Skywalker are those old fossils 
and the modern way. And you're listening to Those Old Fossils, episode 16. Now, a few months back, we revamped Those Old Fossils and decided to focus on four figures or characters of the original 96 per episode. And it's been absolutely brilliant fun. We've had Matt George, Alex Pardy, Andy Goldin, Ron Salvatore, whole host of guests discussing various different figures from Obi-Wan Kenobi, Dengar, Klaatu, Anakin, Warus Man, Hoth Rebel Soldier, Biker Scouts, and R2 Pop-Up. Now this month's figures, this month we were looking at having the Emperor, the Imperial Dignitary, Emperor's Royal Guard, and Darth Vader. However, Vader was just so big that we've had to dedicate a whole show to the Dark Lord. We're also really blessed throughout this entire series now that we've got the expertise of the variant villains on. So the likes of Mark Andrews, Will Mellish, Jamie Acott and Mark Baker who are passionate and knowledgeable and can answer questions on why is this like this and breaking down some of the barriers associated with variants. So here we are, the Dark Lord show, Darth Vader. Now I'm delighted that during this episode we are joined by the Guinness World Record holding godfather of Darth Vader collecting, Bill McBride. This will be a day long remembered. It has seen the end of Kenobi and will soon see the end of the rebellion. Lads, you've listened to the Bill interviews. What are your thoughts? I was really disappointed I couldn't join you for that, Jez. I was looking forward to it, but I got unexpectedly called to a family barbecue. But yeah, awesome, awesome listen. If I was on with you, mate, there's no way I'd have let you down for a barbecue. Okay. You'd have let him down for a fiver, let's be fair. <laughs> Come on, let's talk about Darth Vader. Baby, let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about Lord Vader. Let's talk about Vader. Let's talk about Darth Let's talk about Vader. Darth Vader. Darth Vader. So as this is a vintage collecting show, I'm going to offer this perspective of Darth Vader as viewed through a mid-80s lens. So in the first movie, Darth Vader was presented to us as an ex-pupil of Ben Kenobi and a murderer of Luke's father, Anakin, more machine than man. And it was the design of Darth Vader, a collaboration between George Lucas himself, Ralph Quarry, costume designer John Mollo and sculptor Brian Muir that instantly established him as an icon of screen villains. Taking some of George's samurai influences and adding some real world logic to answer how anyone could remain breathing as they passed between ships in the vacuum of space, Macquarie nailed the look in his first production painting, which was developed with very little changes. Vader was physically portrayed on screen by bodybuilder Dave Prowse, Fencer Bob Anderson and the voice of James Earl Jones, who felt his contributions were so slight that they didn't actually warrant credit on the first two movies. This was later fixed in Return of the Jedi. Although George Lucas claims to have known that Vader was in fact Anakin during the writing of the first movie, there's no actual evidence of this until the early drafts of The Empire Strikes Back from 1978. Regardless of whether it was all part of the plan from the beginning or not, 1980 saw the plot twist to end all plot twists. And irrespective of where you stood in the playground debates, Return of the Jedi not only confirmed the revelation, 
it redeemed the fallen Jedi. In the original trilogy alone, we see this character develop from a one-note, cape-swishing villain to a conflicted, flawed, damaged human, which is testimony to those who brought him to life in those first three movies. Return of the Jedi's Darth Vader is not quite as sure-footed. His sinister horror movie breathing in New Hope slowly transforms into the wheezing of a man on life support by the end of the trilogy. So much has been added to Vader's story over the past 40 years that it's impossible to view this Dark Lord of the Sith in quite the same light as we did back then. And that's okay. Mate, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Lads, what are your thoughts? Darth Vader, is he all that? Did you care much for him? Were you scared as a kid? Absolutely. He's just the pinnacle for me of everything Star Wars. I mean, even now, you know, we've just had the Obi-Wan series and before that Rogue One. It's just just magic in it every time he's on screen. It's that perfect recipe of great costume great at the sound effects that go with him so he's breathing james l jones's voice the size and bulk of david prowse who just you know mix it all together and got a you know an iconic not just an iconic star wars character but just a movie you know iconic villain in general you just you can't think of many villains that outbad darth vader you know what hannibal lecter i can't think too many villains that, that stand up to the vader test to be honest with you yeah yeah dan's nailed it i think he's the most iconic baddie in any movie ever i mean just that image of him walking onto tantive wasn't it it was just scared a lot it did scare me i could have taken him you see it was funny because growing up um from in bristol and dave prowse was a bristol boy so he was known as the green cross code man so i was kind of confused and conflicted as a kid because it was like yeah this is Darth Vader but this is a guy who plays him and he's trying to help us cross the road and he's just picked up my mate Michael just (laughs) in a demonstration of his strength and yeah wonderful wonderful to see the actor there but yeah what what a what an absolute class character absolutely wonderful and you know we've got our guest today Bill McBride you could just completely see as a child, why Bill was just, you know, transfixed and decided that Vader was the way. A lot of us have our heroes is is Luke or Han or Leah, but for him, no, absolutely Darth Vader. And uh, as soon as we said that we were putting this episode together, the amount of people contacting us saying, you need to get Bill on, you need to get Bill on. It's just been brilliant that he, he's come on and given up his time. It's quite a scary figure to focus on, and you look how much, I mean, just looking around my room now, it's like literally everything not everything but the majority of items have got Darth Vader on them visually he was the poster boy of the saga from day one wasn't he quite literally I mean the one common element that looms large on every original trilogy Star Wars cinema poster is is Vader's helmet it's the one character guaranteed to be in every vintage toy line and that's like like that first wave of stuff everything from the action figures model kits the masks like the bop bags you know if you're going to pick one character it was it, it was it was Vader yeah Absolutely, 100%. A character who can hold his own, but also you're going to show a stormtrooper or you're showing an uh, Emperor's Royal Guard or the Emperor. You, you often do find them joined with Vader as well. Or, you know, Vader dueling, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, Vader is, it, it does appear omnipresent. Do you want a fun fact? I know it's I know it's a vintage show, but the action figure database at galacticfigures.com shows 122 different releases of three and three quarter inch Vader since 1978. Which, when you think about 
the fact that he's never seen on screen out of his signature kind of look of a black helmet and cape is pretty good going. Yeah, I suppose the I suppose the other fact is though they they only released one figure between 1977 and 1985, or technically 1995. <laughs> They've released a lot of Vader since 95. They made up for it. Yeah, I think even like the sequel trilogy, you know, like it or love it, they they knew they wouldn't be able to find or create a villain as good as Vader, so they created one that was a, just a Vader fanboy, essentially. <laughs> and they didn't even try to to, to uh, outdo him. Yeah, and still had to say his name, still had to show his helmet. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. So thinking about it, and then having a little look at the. Uh, the original trilogy. Do we have any particular favourite scenes or, or favourite lines? I think for me, it's the it's such a subtle thing, but I think he's quite he's quite witty. <laughs> like some of the things he says to some of the uh, his underlings. So you know, apology accepted, Captain Nida, as he's taking him out, or yeah, careful not to choke on your is it aspirations, Director Krennic, as he's choking right. him, and yeah, you know, just the, just the little witty one-liners that he's got that, that are quite subtle, but you know, I think they're quite, quite dark and funny. I'm, sure, I'm trying I'm to think sure. of any others now. Well, even when he says to Luke, impressive, most impressive, you know, that, it's just yeah, it's just a, almost a sarcasm in it. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more. I'm just trying to think of a few now, but, but there we go. Okay. But even when he's like choking out Admiral Ozzel and he just starts talking to, he says, you know, you, you fouled me for the last time and starts choking him and he just starts another conversation with somewhere else while he's killing the guy below him or above him. Yeah, a cool character who never failed to surprise. I mean, you, you saw certain things initially. You just saw the the looming, the size of him, the fact that he could force choke and, and you know, he, he could wield a lightsaber and he could fly in this TIE fighter. But then as we get to Empire... And you see him sort of force pull hands blaster. Uh, and then at the end of Empire, when you see him force throw various different things at Luke on Bespin. Yeah, all, all that sort of stuff adding to the power behind the Dark Lord. I thought was brilliant. I think I think my favourite scene is is when he's on that on Endor with Luke and they're having that conversation about that name no longer has any meaning for me. And then Luke walks off and he's just staring into the distance. But... He's wearing it just a mask, but you can just just so much emotion there, and it comes through. What about you, Stu, Craig? Well, it's an odd one because I think you know today it probably doesn't hold up that well against the lightsaber fights, but I I still love the original Ben versus Vader fight on the Death Star. I think it's beautifully shot. Some of the framing and the way it's sort of layered there, there, they're doing that. The Falcons kind of over in the bay, they've got to, you know, heroes have got to kind of traverse that space to get to the Falcon. Just the way it's all kind of blocked and, and, and laid out, I think is, is lovely. And there's so much in that little exchange of dialogue that just gets added to. And I know, you know, it's like I said in my intro, you know, it's hard to, hard to divorce some of the things we've seen since from that moment, but that's always been one of my favorite scenes. Just that image of them, those cross blades, him in the black, Ben in the Ben in the brown. It just just works so well. Joe, you know what I was we've we've just mentioned how significant he is on sta- um, on screen and stuff, and you know the first time you see him on Tantif and whatnot, his he was so his presence was so scary. But I can never forget watching Empire for the first time when he's kneeling in front of the great big hologram of the Emperor discussing the son of Skywalker obviously at that point you didn't know that he was the 
he was Anakin. But um, yeah, there's something about that scene. I, I mean, it's a real, probably not a scene any of you boys would have come up with, but. What, humanised him? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's kneeling in front of Emperor. There was someone above him, which was the first time we'd really seen it. But also just discussing discussing Luke, which we just we just know now that he's Luke's father. But at that point, they're talking about this lad and uh, the son of Skywalker. It was just throwing extra little bits in there. If he could be turned, he would be a powerful, powerful ally. Just just a great moment. And the very first very first time he speaks when he's talking to Leia, just that James Earl Jones voice booming out and kind of amazing moment. It was scary. It was scary. I, there was something about it, wasn't it? It was just the power, the control, the finger point, and he had a good finger point. Oh, yeah. yeah, dominant. I mean, it's quite so, funny. You, you know, oh. I've been doing the um, the TikTok videos. It's quite a quite a charming video which I found with David Prowse being interviewed in '78, I think it is, and he's saying that, um, yeah, yeah, George Lucas did want me to do the voice, but. Um, it was too expensive to fly me to America, so they just used a local voice actor, James Earl Jones. <laughs> and I thought, nah, no, they used him for a reason. Not, <laughs> you know, what Prowse was like. I love him as much as you love him, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a quite a funny little video. Obviously, I think it was in Empire of Dreams. They showed the raw footage of him talking with <laughs> in in the mask, and I think it was Mark Hamill said they used they they nicknamed him um, or someone on the crew they nicknamed him Darth Farmer because of his Bristonian accent. I'll send you that clip over, Jess, because it is quite um, quite funny. This is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission. Start tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you've found those tapes. Find the passengers in this vessel. I want them alive. Brilliant. Uh, tell you what, I'm not a, I'm not a prop collector or consider myself kind of in that in, in that kind of realm. I don't chase replicas and things like that. But I was offered up a Don Post helmet from the early 90s. And this is the one that they gave them access to the Empire Strikes Back helmet. And they molded it directly from that screen used piece. And it's sort of, it's fiberglass. You can see the way it's been kind of remolded, the fingerprints on the inside of the, of the helmet. And it's not something I would ever sort of think, well, that's on my, you know, at the top of my list to go, go and buy, but I encountered this thing in real life in a shop, and I tell you what, that thing has got some presence. When you see it at the, at the size it is in that chunky material fiberglass, that thing must have, when that first rolled out on set, people must have just been in awe of it. As an object, it's got so much power. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. And um, yeah, I ended up buying it, obviously. I wouldn't be talking about it. But I just think the whole kind of design of that, the gravitas it's got sort of built into it it's just yeah it's lightning in a bottle was that was that an empire strikes back helmet you say yeah yeah so it's got because the... the new hope one was even bigger and it, you you can see you know, there is something with vader's costume how it changes films of film but the one they originally made for a new hope they, they made it too big and it had to be padded out inside to fit around his head and they, they obviously created a more refined mold for uh for empire and then, and then jedi yeah yeah but, the New Hope one was must have been absolutely colossal. Yeah, we're only getting part of the story, seeing it sort of secondhand on the screen. I think to be in its presence must have been something. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely get why these things subtly change. Nothing to do with the fact that you know they're made differently or a couple of years later. You know, in 
in the real world, you could find that, you know, in a, in your job, uniforms may change this and the other. My my helmet, which I have at work, I'm, I think I'm on my fourth helmet. So I understand <laughs> as as Darth Vader's gone through a New Hope era and they they might, you know, put it out to a different manufacturer you know it all goes out of tender three different sort of companies are saying yeah yeah we'll manufacture this for you and you know it goes to competition and uh and obviously the uh, government or the empire buys the cheapest one they can so um you know what it's like jez your old master tracks you down and cracks your mask open and you've got to get a new one yeah exactly that <laughs> the emperor will show you the true nature of the force he is your master now. Well, seeing as we love this figure so much, this character, and there is a great deal of love for it, let's talk about the figures. Let's talk about how it came out. So, yep, as we know, the original 12 line. So on Tracker, there have been three DT carded figures sold in the last 12 or so years, most recently at the Hakes auction in 2020 for $47,200, which was an AFA 75, which was cheaper than the one the year before. Again, another AFA 75, this with a plus after it, for $62,000. And the first one, $64,000 for an AFA 70 in 2018. Now, we're not going to go into any more details about DTs, double telescoping sabers, because there are some experts far more informed than I who are going to be briefing about those later on. An AFA 95 at Hakes in 2018, Darth Vader sold for $19,470, an AFA 95. You've got the Toll Toys absolute standout piece at Vectis in September 21 for 12000 so again, you go through all of the different ones, Harbors, Leddies, the 14 and the 30s, the Tops toys, the Toll toys, the PPP, the Secuda, the various different Meccanos, so the Square and Return of the Jello ones, the Clippers, the Glass Leaps, the Power of the Force, absolutely stunning. But again, it's not only Kenner A, B and C, but you've got Takara A, B and C as well. So absolutely sensational range of Darth Vader figures. Impressive. Most impressive. I'm delighted to be able to cut to the first interview which we've got with Bill McBride and where we're going to talk initially with Bill to find out a little bit more about the man behind the collection and how he goes about collecting. Hello there. Come here, my little friend. Don't be afraid. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined this evening by lifelong Star Wars fan and someone who I calculate has been collecting Darth Vader items for over 30 years. Bill McBride, welcome to Generation Skywalker. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And Bill, there are so many questions I'd like to ask with regards to your collection and your collecting journey. But first of all, I want to know a bit more about you. So you first saw Star Wars around about the age of six. Is that right? Yeah, I, I first saw Star Wars. Yeah, I, I was probably about six at the time. I grew up in the country in Virginia, right outside of D.C. <clears throat> well, I guess when it was still country, at least. And uh, yeah, going to movies was like our, our big 
it, it truly was our, our main huge source of entertainment. So yeah, yeah, fortunately I got to see it as soon as I think it came to our area. Wonderful. Now I've seen various different interviews and TV spots where you've said that you immediately had this sort of love or connection with the original bad boy Darth Vader. You know, you, you straight away as soon as he came on, yeah, that that guy's awesome. But what were your thoughts on the other principal characters and you know Luke and Han and? Oh, I mean, it's you, you fall in love with all of them. I mean, you really do. I mean, that's that's the that's the genius. That's the that's the magic of the original Star Wars. It's everybody fell in love with everybody else. It's like, uh, you know, Han Solo, Chewie, Leia, Luke. I mean, the droids, it was just, uh, they were all magical. They really were. Um, did it just, I didn't, I don't ever recall a time in my life where I was like, you, you know, you're kind of mentally detached at a point, but it's like, you know, I don't ever recall a time in my life where I'm like, ah, you know, that character kind of sucked and stuff like that. I think it's ironic actually now that, a lot of people and, you know, a lot of modern fans or people that are always sort of pushing, oh, well, we need these like super strong female characters and they got to do this and this. And it's like, bro, I grew up with that. It's like Carrie Fisher with Princess Leia. There was nothing weak about that character. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, come on. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I think it was a combination of, of everything about the character of Vader, um, you know, the way he's presented visually. It's like, you know, you have the, the tent of the white hallway, the stormtroopers, and all of a sudden this huge menacing guy comes out and, you know, all black. And just it was just, I was just crazy. I don't know what it was. It was just absolutely enamored with the character. But yeah, yeah, yeah. even from a little age, I, I, I definitely love Vader. I guess when you walk in with that John Williams music as well. It's just like, right, this is the big bad guy right now with that symphonic background. Yeah, I'm with you loud and clear on that. Did you get to experience the whole of the sort of Vader-Luke arc and all of that going through? Did you see the films in order? Because I know from my childhood, I funnily enough saw Jedi before Empire. Did you get to go to the cinema for each each movie? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that was <laughs> that probably aged me as a child because you know we, we you know Meyer we we experienced it you know that's like that real time firsthand deal so it's like you're walking out uh, of Star Wars going that is literally the most life changing movie I've ever seen and then you know through like newspaper articles stuff like that we started hearing rumors about uh, uh, you know hey Star Wars two you know there's Star Wars two Star Wars two's in the works and it's like whoa yeah. they're doing another one. And so, yeah, I mean, everybody's like super hype about it. We're just chopping at the bit to go see it. And then you go see Empire and you, you walk out of Empire with uh, just like, wow. And then, <laughs> you know, what the hell just happened? Yeah, That was just kind of crazy. And then, yeah, so then you're just, again, that was, it was almost a foregone conclusion that there's going to be a Star Wars 3. And, you know, long old, sure enough, we found out it was going to be, oh, Revenge of the Jedi, and hits the theater and I think everybody forgot about that. So yeah, just got to see return and it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Brilliant. So that whole moment, no, I am your father. You got to see that as it should have been released at the cinema. Fantastic. Brilliant. Man, I'm just going to go off slightly now because one thing yeah. you and I both have is a military connection. I'm aware that you served in the U S Marine Corps, I believe it was. And without prying too much into your service life, 
do you find many sort of crossovers with Star Wars whilst in the military or is it strictly separate? I say that because I've seen so many crossovers, names, call signs, formation call signs, morale patches. You know, we've even got, well, there's a US spy plane called Vader. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you have much of a connection or did you keep those two aspects of your life you know, and career separate? I think actively, you know, I was, you know, when I was on leave and things like that, I would, I would always try to hit up like antique stores or look for the toy stores and stuff like that. Actively, you know, it really, I think when I was in, there wasn't that much, it, it was, you know, what we traditionally call in the hobby as, a, as far as the dark times, you know, there really wasn't a lot of Star right. Wars content. It, it wasn't necessarily in the public in the common vernacular. So it wasn't, uh, what wasn't as pervasive as it is now. I think we had some old school stuff, you know, you know like a couple things that weren't, that I was aware of, but, uh, you know, directly, no, I, I, I don't really think there was too much crossover there. Right. Yeah. Okay. I get the whole dark time things. You know, when I first joined, there was definitely, I was, I was almost keeping it a bit more on the down low, but as the sort of time's gone on, it's pop culture and everything like that. It's just got cooler and cooler and cooler. So, okay. Thanks very much for sharing that. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost, I mean, there's times where I, you know, now looking back and because uh, patches are a part of my collection as well. And so, yeah, it's like, there's, there's these things I'll, you know, surf eBay or see something pop up that I wasn't aware of. And I'm like, you know what, that, that's, that is really cool, man. I wish we would have had something like that when I was in, but I've said that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, definitely jealous of that. <laughs> okay. Now from a collecting point of view, we're going to go on to the collection and various different things, but my hero growing up with Mark Hamill, and uh, I couldn't wait to get his autograph at Celebration Europe 2 in Essen, Germany. How do you feel about the likes of Prowse, James Earl Jones, and we'll come on to Hayden and sort of Spencer Wilden, etc. But are these as much important to you as the collectibles? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the one of the things I absolutely treasure and I, I really still I mean, to this day, it excites me the most about what, what we do and, you know, how, how we operate as collectors is really getting the history behind it. You know, it's just, just like because of, there's a, a large part of my collection that's that's uh, this props. So a good analogy would be the, the original Vader helmet is just massive. It's huge. Unless you've never seen like like a one to one scale replica, you can't appreciate really how big this thing is. And that was one of the thoughts I always had is like, what was that like to wear on set? I mean, I had it to suck. So I remember the first time I met Dave Prowse, uh, I, we had this whole conversation about it. Like, I mean, man, what was this like? And he's like telling me these little anecdotes and these little stories about things that happened on set. And uh, it was just awesome. But yeah, I, I love meeting, you know, having, having an opportunity to interact with those, uh, you know, with those actors and the people that contributed, you, you know, especially like James Earl Jones. I've, I've been fortunate enough to actually meet him twice. And you know, had him sign things and just these people are just amazing. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, there, there's no doubt why, at least in my mind, why Vader is such an impactful world recognized, just, just a significant character. When you look at the, some of his parts are all made up of these world-class talents. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. So yeah, I, I love it. I, unfortunately I have not had an opportunity to meet uh, really any of the modern era uh, Vader actors that have contributed, but I'm, you know, definitely looking forward to it. I'm so 
delighted that you, you've got to meet David Price and of course you would have done your Bill McBride you know <laughs> and, and James Earl Jones I was thinking to myself you know these they must have connected they must have got together okay that's awesome but it, it links me quite nicely actually into something with regards to the prequels because there was an article which I read and I'll quote it says recall his dislike for the prequels Bill was quick to point out that his love for Vader is the powerful Sith Lord is, you know, in armoured form. Bill owns a few Vader collectibles, a very brief scene in the grand scheme of things, but he stresses that Anakin Skywalker, played by Hayden Christensen, doesn't enter the equation. So it seemed when this was written that you were absolutely sort of very strongly in the OT, the, the prequel trilogy hadn't quite sort of you know, worked for you at that stage of your life. But I've noticed that people seem to have softened to the prequels over the years, but maybe even since, you know, the Disney era. So has, has your acceptance of the prequels and Hayden changed? I think it just, I mean, just to be clear about Hayden, it absolutely had nothing, you know, it was not directed at him personally or, or question anything that he did. It was just the, within a context of, what I was trying to express, I guess, was, you know, my, my initial realm of experience and, and sort of my mental image, everything that was burned into my head was just Vader, Vader in the suit. And that's all that ever existed for me. So the, I, I think sort of the, like the Anakin Skywalker, as he became Darth Vader prior to getting in the suit kind of deal, I think there's a detachment there for me. But having said that, it's, you know, somebody actually, it's funny you, you say this, because I had this, I had a conversation with somebody, it was probably like four or five months ago, and we were just kind of going back and forth through the whole, you know, the, the prequel thing. And he actually pointed out a good, a, you know, made a really good point. It's like, if you, if you can contextualize the, the prequels as the rise of Emperor Palpatine and the rise of Vader and how he became Vader, then it's definitely a lot more interesting. I just think I'm I'm kind of like a, a huge movie, you know, movie movie fan. So it's like there's certain things that I just I still still have problems with with, with the original trilogy. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's like yeah, I tell people it really doesn't matter. I mean, if it's something that you like and it's and it entertains you, then it's it's all good. I have no argument with that. I, I just I really don't. It's I think we have. I don't know. It's just like we have this crazy toxicity in our fandom where people are like, oh, hey, hey, bro, I kind of like this thing. And the instead of the immediate is like, oh, wow, man, that's really cool. I mean, he's, you know, he's not my guy, but I mean, that's really cool. This is this media, like this viciousness, like, oh, you're stupid. That's why do you like that? That's stupid. And I just I honestly have never understood that, you know, like the prequels. I mean, man, I mean, there's certain elements, I guess that's my point. It's like certain elements I can extract from that to appreciate I mean, not really going to be my thing, but it's just, like I said, man, it's all good. It's all Star Wars. You know, you like it. Yeah. Cool. If you don't like it, that's cool too. Absolutely. Now I've completely warmed to the prequel trilogy over the last few years, actually. And, and you know, the more I see it, the more I, I see it linking in. And I think also, I also see it when we go off to celebrations and various things and you're just immersed with various different generations and and the prequel are, are their first sort of look at star wars and oh yeah when, you, yeah when you're surrounded by the fan base 
I know what you said about, you know, the toxicity, etc. But they're just the vocal minority, aren't they, I find. That you go away, you see something like Celebration, you come back, and it's just like, wow, you know, PT's brilliant. Rebel, you know, I, I was at one panel, and there was just people there who were so up for Rebels and the Clone Wars, and it made me sort of get caught up in their own venturi of excitement, and, and it sort of opened my eyes a little bit more. So now that's, that's cool. I get it. When we move away then from OT slightly, you know, Vader now, as our galaxy far, far away is enhancing and growing and more stories are being told, what do you think of uh, Kenobi or Rogue One for that matter? Oh, I, I love Kenobi. I love, I mean, it's like, as, as an actor, I love Ewan McGregor. He is just, the guy is ridiculous. I mean, everything, it seems like everything he does is just awesome. So, Obviously, you 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 could not have done that without him. It was just that was just a no go. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that that would have that would have been some some true fan anger if they would have they would have tried that. But uh, no, I love Kenobi. I loved uh, you know Hayden's portrayal of Vader. Um, just yeah, everything about it. I just I really there to, to me there just weren't uh, weren't really kind of any weak spots in that. Um, yeah. And then. Yeah, I got to say, Rogue One is probably, yeah, definitely my, definitely up there in the probably the the top five of all Star Wars movies for me. So, Bill, we're completely on the same page. Absolutely, you, <laughs> <laughs> we very recently did the Generation Skywalker review of the Kenobi TV show, where we've gone into it, really sort of um, stripped it down, analysed it, and given our opinion and observations. And yeah, the. The Kenobi show, I mean, yeah, breathtaking and so good, added so much more. And it, I felt that it linked all three trilogies together. There were, there were certain things which are happening, which then sort of opened up into the sequel more. And obviously it was it was that bridge between the, the PT and the OT. I just thought it was wonderful. And, and yeah, who, who doesn't love Rogue One? So moving on to the collecting then side of it, you know, we've established that you began collecting at an early age and it just hasn't stopped you are known as the man who is in the guinness book of records for the largest vader collection in the galaxy so um tell us how did the guinness book of records come about and and please take me back to the beginning of your collecting journey um you know i, I actually come from i guess a family of collectors uh growing up my father was you know a prolific collector with you know in his own right so I started off pretty early, you know, I had the collecting bug and, you know, I was of the mind to, you know, that's going, going forward. That's, that was kind of the mindset I had. And, uh, yeah, after star Wars came out, I remember going to the store and I saw, I saw the, the 15 inch Vader, the, the, the big, the big guy and the four inch one. And I just flipped out. I was like, you know, cause your parents are like, okay, you can only get one thing. And I, it was instinctive. I didn't even look at anything else. I just wanted the Vader toy. So I think that's that's kind of where things started off. And then, of course, you know, you know, going through life, you have ebbs and flows to, you know, what you do and don't have time for. But, yeah, I just always I think it's just always an instinctive thing. It just it was very organic. Um, you know, when I really started collecting very seriously as an adult, yeah, it was kind of kind of crazy to me because I had a lot of people that were like, oh, my God, why are you only collecting one thing? It's kind of, you know, all the stuff you're passing up. I'm like, well. I said, man, I don't have money for everything else. It's like, I just want to collect what I want to collect. And that's, that's the way I've always done it. It's like, you know, say if it's something I really want, 
then I'm going to collect it. If it's stuff that I don't want or I don't like, then it's it's almost like no amount of kind of hype or selling selling it up to me is ever going to work. It's just I just can't. I just don't process stuff like that. I don't know. It's like I think I think the whole you know the whole record thing started with well obviously I mean it was obviously inspired by Steve Sansweet because he he you know he has his insane you know I don't know if he if he went through and actually counted up his Vader stuff he's probably got more than I do so. You know, just just to be uh, just just to be honest about it, he uh, I'm sure he's got me beat as, as with that as well. But it was just I don't know somebody we you know, some friends were just talking about it and like oh man it'd be kind of cool and see what you got and it's just started you know digging in my spreadsheets and you know all my notes and stuff like that and it's kind of what really started it and then just I don't know just pursued it I guess for no other reason just to you know <laughs> use up some non-existent free time I had at the time. But uh, yeah, I guess that's how it started. Right. Okay. So then you, you go through the application process, Guinness is saying, right, do this. I mean, that must have taken ages to catalog everything and, and send it off to them. Um, it was actually, it's, there's a couple different sort of stages that you go through. You have to basically be able to substantiate your claim. And you can do that with actually what helped me a lot were a lot of the documentaries and videos and things like that. I mean, you can't approach them by saying, Hey, you know, I get a million Pez dispensers. Okay, we'll prove it. That's basically the process. Yeah. You know, it's like you can make a claim to something, but it's like, let's, let's go ahead and see that. You know, you have to be able to quantify, you know, you have to be able to substantiate the statement. Then then it's like, you know, you have to give them some proof. And like the documentaries and all the other stuff that I was so fortunate to have done at the time, uh, that, that really helped that because, you know, you're showing people stuff and like, Man, that's a lot of stuff. That's the usual response. So, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it can be tedious, but I was also very fortunate with with that process. Fantastic. So, I assume then that you were in the annual, and you got given a certificate, a frame certificate, which is in the uh, Vader Vault. Uh, yeah, it's um, actually it's not in the in the current Vader Vault, but uh, yeah, it's one of these days. I guess when I get some room, I'll uh, I'll have that out on display. So cool i've seen various different videos i think at one stage they said yeah sixty-four thousand uh, items and then as time's gone on i think the last one i saw it said it was up to seventy thousand when you had to move uh, over to te uh, texas south sort of southeast texas so I, I'm, I'm assuming that it's pretty much leveled off now i mean would you say it's seventy thousand or how big is the collection today um, we'll just, we'll go with that because I just, uh, you know, unfortunately it's just lately, you know, the, the pace of collecting things like that has dropped off precipitously. So it's, I, um, <clears throat> haven't had a lot of time to really, to kind of delve into that. And, you know, unfortunately the bulk of the collections in various storage rooms. So, uh, I think at some point, I'll, I'll, I, you know, it'd be fun to go back and count, but honestly, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that's like you show people and it's like, Oh man, it's like, you're expecting this crazy amount of like visually impressive stuff. And then you realize like, well, it actually has made up a bunch of little stuff. So it, it's a little yeah. bit more tedious to, to sort of count and catalog and all that good stuff. But nevertheless, <clears throat> 70,000 component. Well, that's parts. a lot. Man. That's pretty impressive. I mean, impressive enough that if I'm right, someone offered you a rather sporty car just for a few of those items. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was a guy who was interested at the time. Uh, he wanted a couple uh, different. I had have a fortunate to have a pretty good run of uh, vintage Vader prototype material, and he wanted two pieces out of that, and actually offered my favorite car ever, a nine, Porsche nine eleven. And <laughs> I, 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 I turned him down. Right, yeah, that's not the sort of rim sales type transaction that I've seen in the past or, or anything on Hake's auction. Other auctions are available. But yeah, to offer you the keys to a, to a sports supercar, then yeah, that guy must have really wanted that. But you turned him down. Well, well I think it was funny because, well, I mean, I shouldn't say funny. It was just more, more, of, a, more of an interesting social exchange because yeah. I thought it's, he, I, I've just never approached things from an investment point of view. You know, I've just always collected things that I like. But you know, having said that, in the in the you know the state of the market and then the rate of prices and uh, you know just the astronomical values that I mean, even to me, are basically common stuff that I I probably like at this stage of my collecting, I just would never even look twice at. And you see what they go for, and you're like, what the hell? It's like, yeah. I mean, it just it blows me away. It's like, and it's funny because as when I turned down, I said, look there are certain things I spend money on and certain things I don't. But I said, if I were to purchase this brand new from a dealer, the second that my signatures on the, you know, on the agreement and I put the car, you know, put the ignition and drive it off a lot, I've immediately lost money. So why would I exchange something to you that I know is a sound investment, you know, with today's prices, obviously. Yeah. And I'm not going to lose money on it. So basically it's like we do an even exchange I'm immediately losing money on this. So it's like, that's not really not an attractive situation for me. Um, no, I get that entirely. And that makes complete sense to me. So collection wise, we're going to come on to it shortly, but I know that naturally it's not just vintage, is it? It's all Vader's throughout the years. So modern items probably in now are, are playing more and more of a significant role in your collection. Would that be true to say? Oh yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's, I mean, the, my hard and fast rule for my collection is I only, you know, seek those items that I truly like. Like when I see something that I'm like, that is really cool then I'm, I'm going to get, go get that. There's other things, you know, my most famous example I've used before, I think is the, uh, the Mr. Potato Head Vader crossover for some reason. And my apologies if you're hearing this and it's like your favorite thing ever, but it's like one of those things I just hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, I just, well, I think it's because sort of the singular approach in my collection, it's, it's just Vader. It's just, Hey, the Vader in the suit, you know, that's, that's kind of the purity of it, but it's like, yeah, that the potato Vader crossover just made me nuts. I hated it, but uh, yeah, there's, there's yeah. so much new, new cool stuff that comes out. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely collect a lot of modern stuff too. Is there a particular, I mean, Vader is, is sort of is omnipresent, isn't it, within within everything? I mean, you look at it, you go through the Gus and Duncan's book and, and you look at various different things. Is there anything in particular which Darth Vader hasn't got to, you know, carrots or grapes or, you know, is, is there anything out there that you think, mm, yeah, they've missed a trick there? Well, it's, you know, it's funny you say that because it's one of the things when I used to uh, give tours for my collection, I would tell people, you know, hey, your challenge is throw something out there at me, like common household item, uh, just, you know, normal day-to-day sort of light hold, you know, life consumable goods. 
and throw something out at me that you think has or hasn't been made. Uh, you know, uh, there's not a Vader version of it. And I really can't think of too much that hasn't been done. I mean, there's just like recently I found out there's a uh, Darth Vader Instapot. So, right. yeah, it's there. There is there is some crazy stuff. I think they're off the top of my head. I think the, the probably the two craziest things or the most, I think, odd things in, 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 in terms of what you would see Vader on. The, of course, the infamous the Darth Vader condoms. Um, yeah. They, well, I guess you, you classify those as bootlegs, but those were actually produced by the, the, the designer, Mark Echo. He's a obviously a massive Star Wars fan and, you know, came out with a whole line of Star Wars themed clothing and things like that. Well, he made these things up as like, you know, swag for a show. And they, they, he started handing them out. Well, I guess Lucasfilm got a hold of it. And they're like, no, we're not doing this. So I guess they confiscated them. But yeah, if you haven't made it out, so there's that. Uh, there's Darth Vader clone from Spain. That's <laughs> another. It's another huge standout. And no, no offense to my my Spanish friends, but uh, the, this this clone is. It would make Axe body spray, you know, <laughs> smell like Dior. It's just it's horrific. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you could probably use it as like an animal repellent or something, but. Uh, yeah, it's actually, I mean, the, 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 well, the cool thing about it is the presentation is really neat. You know, it's like this little figural bottle and, you know, it's in this, uh, di- you know, uh, helmet shaped case and, you know, the presentation of it's awesome. Just that's as far as I'd ever take it. Yeah. I'd, I'd seen, as I said, a few videos, the, the Spanish cologne, yeah, and the, the condoms or, or Johnny's, but the vacuum cleaner checkbook, a Vader yeah. checkbook. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check, checkbook, checkbook covers. Um, <laughs> uh, let me see. The Japanese, any, the, a lot of the Japanese products, they, they're probably on the, on the top of that sort of, you know, not mainstream type of item. They, uh, there's actually a, an all in one uh, uh, coffee machine, Darth Vader themed coffee machine. Nice. Uh, barista. Uh, just, yeah. I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, it's actually, you have to think about something that, that isn't, it is out there floating around that doesn't have Darth Vader on it or a Darth Vader version of it. Okay. Now I've got a couple of questions here from the, from the guys on the team actually. And, and Craig said, he said, I've got a left field question, but something that genuinely would bother me if I had thousands of Vader items, does all the black on black bring additional display issues? And do you have sort of multi-directional lighting? Do you have to create space around the items? So it's not just a massive black or, in other words, have you got any display tips for lots of solid black items? Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah, hundred percent. That is, it is a huge challenge. You know, like I said, I mean, we've been fortunate enough to be involved with with a few documentaries and, and, and films and things like that. And I can tell you from their point of view, professionally, it is a huge challenge. You know, there's I've I've had some of the the DPs come in and they're like they they walked in like whoa, it's like yeah, we're gonna need more lights. So it's uh, lighting is a huge issue because it's finding a balance between what I want to do is in a display aesthetic versus, you know, the curation and preservation of something yeah, like absolutely. light is just going to, yeah, light damages everything all the time. There's nothing you can get away with it. So the best thing to do is, you know, obviously mitigate, you know, as far as any sort of direct sun or UV exposure. Um, and then also it's definitely, definitely a challenge to get you know the right lighting 
you know, getting the display set up. Uh, I think I definitely, like, like I said, that's a great question because the other key is actually space is really trying to, you know, and that, that's something that I was guilty of in the past is like, you know, there's so much stuff and you want to try to display it all, but you're, you're not really honoring or sort of, you know, promoting the piece if it's just surrounded by like 20 other things. It's like, you have to give it room. You have to give it the respect of what it is by saying, you know, Hey, this is, this is a really cool piece. I'm going to give you some air to breathe. So yeah, that's, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, it's just, it, it definitely eats up a lot more space than you'd ever believe. Like, um, you know, you could, somebody could go to Ikea and buy 10 Detolf cases and say, Oh man, I'm just going to fill these things up. And it's like, even like super high end stuff, you start filling them in and making up, you know, the appropriate display for it. And yeah, your, your just space evaporates. I try to use a combination of like LEDs, you know, I can just turn on and off at demand and then, but otherwise no, I, try, I try to keep things fairly dark. I just, I'm, I'm so worried about my stuff getting damaged or, you know, a little light creeping in and, you know, messes something up that I just can't repair. And it's, uh, you know, but yeah, it's, that's a really good question. It's yes. So short version, it is a huge challenge. All right. And uh, you mentioned damage just now, and we've already spoken about, you know, moving the house. And, and when you have a collection like you do, you, you must think about insurance, and, and that must be an absolute challenge for you and your insurers. So have you got any sort of tips or, or a plug for a particular insurance company? I mean, how does one even start? Well, the, I use a collector's insurance agency, and they're, they're really good. I haven't had any problems. Um, I guess the only thing for me is items above a certain dollar value, you have to basically categorize and you have to, you have to send them an itemized list, but otherwise, no, it's, it's kind of based on, you know, whatever quote you had taken out originally for the, the collection. And I think it, it, it accrues at like 10% a year, something like that. So right. it's, you, you definitely want to do that, but it's, I'm also like super, super careful when I move stuff, just, you know, hyper paranoid about doing any kind of damage because there's just, there's a lot of stuff that, that I have that is either like a one of a kind or two of a kind. And you just can't risk any, they just won't suffer any kind of damage. You just can't, can't allow it. So I I'm tend to like overpack, um, kind of like overdo it when I'm moving stuff. But yeah, it's always, it's a very, a very stressful process, no matter how you, how you kind of work it. Yeah, but I, it's bad enough when I've had to move house here with my collection, let alone 70,000 items. Yeah, I, um, I, I d don't envy you for that, really. So, um, yeah, w well done. <laughs> we'll move on. And move on we did, but we'll get to that later on. So now, delighted that once again, we've got the variant villains to come along and talk to us about all the different intricacies of Vader to talk about everything you need to know about the Sabres. All right, Jez, it's Jamie from Variant Villains. I'm here today with Mark. How are you, Mark? I'm well, mate. I'm well. I'm really looking forward to hearing everything you've got to say about Darth Vader. I don't think I'm going to be doing the talking, Mark. I think I'm going to be leaving that all to you. 
hey, wait, what? <laughs> it feels like a work in progress. So uh, hopefully everything we cover here is is accurate. There's a lot of information which I'm going to talk about here with SCAR types and different licensees. I think people would be best off directed right from the outset to have a look at the Variant Villains website and to look at the information here graphically, where you can actually see different SCARs and different sort of ways of removing COOs and different saber types. So the sections I'll point you towards, obviously beyond the Vader accessories pages, I would recommend people check out the knowledge, our section under introduction to COOs, and also the page on COO terms. That will just give you a bit of a shortcut. At this stage, we normally talk about what factories did Vader or did the figures, but with Vader, it feels a bit more like we should be talking about which factories didn't do Vader. I mean, it yeah. was produced by Kada, Unitoy, Smile, Haiwan, Billy Leddy, Pock, PBB, uh, Glasslight, Top Toys, uh, even Takara. I mean, you know, what a beast he is. He's one of the toughest figures to complete a full run on, purely based on the volume of, of output across factories and across the entire scope of the vintage era. He is big, isn't he? I mean, we're going to be talking for a little bit longer than usual. Okay, well, the earliest producers for Vader were the Unitoy and Kader factories. These were made with Hong Kong COOs, and there's also a made in Hong Kong COO for the Unitoy figure. There's a Smile factory, which is a very, very short one of Hong Kong COO figures. Then beyond that, you've got a Taiwan, which made their made in Taiwan figure. The Kader and Unitoy are both the most prolific for Darth Vader. I was going to say, do you think there's any way to identify the different Vader Kenner variants without looking at the COOs? The chest buttons are probably the easiest thing. Uh, you can see on the Kada ones, the buttons are fairly thick. They're very long, thick rectangles, whereas the Unitoy sculpt has a much thinner. And the paint application is a bit different as well. The Unitoy ones tend to be a little bit more of a crimson red, and the Kada ones are a bit more of an orangey red. I mean, if I was having to hazard a guess about well, the Unitoy, I would say that the Made in Hong Kong is the earliest variant. Of course, at the moment, I'm just speculating. But if you look at the other figures in the initial 12 run, um, the Chewie the layer, the Ben, they all had a made in Hong Kong stamp. And I, I wonder if that's like the earliest iteration of the Vader as well. Yeah, I, I wish we could have Tim Emerson on to join us um, because he's the one that's looked at this the most with Darth Vader and especially the early figures. Yeah, the made in Hong Kong, I, I suspect as well, it comes with a, a, a flat transition lettered saber. And yeah, as you say, the COOs tend to match up with the other figures around it from that sort of same period. So the made in Hong Kong Unitoy seems to be one of the first ones produced. So what are we talking about when we say DT lightsaber? Okay, a double telescoping is a two-part saber, and there's an outer part that's got a, a, a long cylinder that projects from Vader's hand, and then the second part is like a long, thin needle, I guess you could call it, and that's pushed through the cavity in the center of the of the first, and that is actually your your, your double telescoping action. Now, this is a very first version of the lightsaber that was made. There's not many of these in existence. The very original ones that were made, they had letters stamped into the hilt of the saber. And there's a number of letter combinations that you can get. I won't go into it all here. The reason they added these letters is to differentiate the cavities within the mold themselves. If you had any malfunctions or any inefficiencies within that tool, it was a shortcut for them to be able to go straight to that particular part where there was a fault, look at the letters and go, okay, well, that's cavity NN. Let's take a look at that and tidy it up a little bit or clean it or if, you know, whatever was required to, to get it working. Awesome. At this point, do we know anything about which factories produced the double telescoping lightsaber? Uh, just cater as far as I'm aware. For Vader, Luke had two factories, cater and Unitoy, but um, yeah, Ben and Darth, just cater. Okay, you mentioned that it was extremely fragile. 
the run was really short-lived. At that point, I understand that double telescope and light sober was ditched and they replaced it with a single telescope and light sober and those were lettered at that point. Do you want to go into more detail? The lettering is for the same purpose as before. Just the single telescoping, there was no movement within it. So the actual, the, the sabre itself was just one piece and it had a small little needle-like extension which disguised the fact that they couldn't hide the entire light sabre up the figure's arm. So the bit that stuck out was just a, a very small needle-like extension, but it was all one piece. It didn't have this two-action manoeuvre required anymore. So the sabre itself was just pushed forwards and backwards by the hilt under the figure's arm. So hence, single telescoping. Uh, you mentioned uh, Taiwan briefly. Should we delve into that a little bit? Just the regular made in Taiwan is fairly commonly found mostly in the US. The made in Taiwan figure has a different sculpt again, and then a, another one which is much, much harder to find, which is a Taiwan-only COO. What I mean by that, it just has the word Taiwan on the back. Not made in Taiwan, just Taiwan. That turns up in Australia. The accessories that seem to come with it, um, the capes that come with it, um, have a unique texture to them. It seems to be that toll toys have picked up from the Asian producers when they were ordering their stock. Whether it was cheaper because of the faults, who knows? But yeah, so that's the Taiwan-only version of Vader. The other Asian factory we haven't discussed yet is Smile, which was one of the Hong Kong-based producers and later Macau producers. Their version of Vader, we assume that this is a Smile figure. Quite a hard one to find as it goes, which is unusual because Smile is one of the most prolific producers that Kenner had. Perhaps they came in a bit later after Unitoy and Kada. So when they did their very short run, it was just a very small window, only a certain number produced, and that's your lot. So yeah, that's that's quite a tough one to find. Great information again, Mark. Um, just for clarification, uh, you mentioned that uh, Taiwan was the tapered. Hader and Smile, I believe, had the round tip transition and Unitoy the flat tip. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Brilliant. It's great to finally be understanding some of this variant chat. Thanks very much. So, Stu, we've spoken about the Cardo figures. What about the additional Vaders? What about the two packs, the three packs, the mailers? What else is there, mate? What other multi-packs have we got or extra packs? As you probably know, there are a lot of multi-packs and a lot of mailers. And it was involved in two packs, three packs, multi-packs. The old uh, Darth Vader figure appeared in. There's no way I can go through all of it. So what I've done is I have cherry-picked the bits and pieces that, one, I think need covering, and two, that have intrigued me. Now, first of all, Jez, last year you picked up your amazing four-pack with the Italian header. I know you had the Emperor's Royal Guard set, which is is beautiful. Now, this pack, I've, I've not seen this one. I, I saw it in Gus and Duncan's Star Wars collectibles book, and uh, that is Darth Vader coming with a Paplu, a Princess Leia Hoth, and an Imperial Commander. That is quite a beautiful lineup for a set. And obviously, the most famous ones, you do have the three-pack. I'm sure you remember the villain set, which came out from Sears. The villain set, of course, what a set that is. Darth Vader in the middle, flanked one side by the Stormtrooper, and the other side by the Death Squad Commander. And not only that, when Empire Strikes Back came out, obviously you had the second run of the the three-packs from Sears. And then we got some six-packs in there. first of these boxes was available just after the release of three-packs, and that consisted of Darth Vader. Vader, a Hoth Stormtrooper, R2-D2, Han Hoth, C-3PO and the Hoth Rebel Soldier. Beautiful set and then just after that another six pack came out. Again with Darth Vader, with the Hoth Trooper again. The Hoth Rebel Soldier was in there, this time with an ATAT driver, IG-88 
88 and Yoda. And as we carry on, Jez, I mean, there's there's lots. You've got the Return of the Jedi 2 packs, uh, which were the overstocked figures in those big bubbles that are often damaged, the back of the cards blank. These were, were packed up to basically get rid of the figures at the end of the line. Now, I can't take you through all the two packs. There's so many different combinations, but I know Darth Vader features in them. I know that out there there is a, a beautiful example of Darth Vader and Princess Leia. What a beautiful idea for a two-pack sure there is plenty of other examples maybe we could see how many examples we can find for the release of this show and we put it out onto We Are Generation Skywalk Facebook page so that is probably the most common two packs and three packs that you see but there is other ones I mean you've probably seen the white boxes there's quite a few with Vader in but you have got the four pack which included Princess Leia Organa Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader and Han Solo, all original 12 figures, quite a nice box, it's just plain white to be fair with written on the front it's got the uh, SKU number at the top Star Wars action figure four pack original then another number then the names are these boxes now I mean they go for a pretty penny they're not they're not cheap there's there's plenty of different examples of these type of things out there yeah the boxes are a little bit boring they are just plain white and black uh, talking of white boxes with black writing one of the uh, I say common but for a mailer it's a slightly different now the, now the Darth Vader figure was one of several toy items available to Dutch consumers as part of Clipper's extensive Return of the Jedi mail away program you may have seen the wraparound sticker on Clipper items which was the offer and then there would be a bigger whiter sticker on the back of the mint on cards uh, others that included in the offer was Akbar when he was new Nine Numb I think there was a Vader carry case Bandolier strap lots of different things in that offer but this Darth Vader was also one of them uh, the figure inside this white box came in a heat seal bag and it bared no logo I mean sometimes you get these mailers they've got Kenner written on them and then there's different baggies but uh, this this had no logo whatsoever it was a little hard to see through the baggie and and, and its cape always seemed to have a very slightly different texture than most other Vader figures. That's how you can tell what the clipper is. And the box was just plain white, like I said. Black writing, so in big writing letters, Star Wars, Darth Vader. And then you've got some um, foreign wording. And at the bottom, clipper, Benelux, Amsterdam, slash Brussels. So that was that. You've probably seen them around. They're quite a... I, I say they're quite common. I don't think they are quite common. I think they're quite hard to come by these days. But that is Star Wars Vintage Collection in a whole. And that leads me on to just a handful of different things. Now, let's go over to Sears again. I mean, we've already had the normal three-packs, but several of the large department stores of Sears offered figures in multi-packs through their catalogue or as part of cardboard playsets. This particular set came with Vader, two Stormtroopers. It had a little booklet with it, and it came in like a plain brown cardboard mailer. Now, there's one on the SWCA, which is marked with a Sears surplus store price tag, showing that it was $4.88 and it had now a new price of $2.39. That that box is going to set you back a whole lot more than that. So for anybody that picked that up at $2.39 and still has it, has done an exceptional job. Go to the 1978 Sears wish book. You will see that set advertised alongside three other packs of three packs. One, Darth Vader, Death Squad Commander Han Solo. One of them was Chewbacca, R2-D2 and C-3PO. And the other one was Jawa with two Sam people. All make sense, don't they? They are three packs that make sense, and none more so than this one, Darth Vader with the two Stormtroopers. And then came around Empire Strikes Back. Sears, again, they did a multi-pack for their department stores, a four-figure catalogue mailer pack. 
I love this. The, the, the box is white again, but this time we have some blue line art and they are depicting the figures. So you've got like this, this blue lined box, it's got the Kenner logo in the bottom, Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back logo, bang up the top. You've then got a number to the left, ages four and up to the right. And at the bottom, you do have a load of jargon, the addresses and whatnot, but it does say Sears number 49-59054, Star Destroyer four pack. And then you've got these four line art images of figures. What a pack this is. Darth Vader in a brilliant pose in his line art alongside Bosk, Boba Fett and IG-88. This was from 1980. That is a hell of a bit of packaging and it's my understanding that this is such a rare piece to find. Extremely cool, extremely rare, but it's probably one of the most coolest multi-pack boxes or mailer boxes I have seen. Well worth going over to the Enhance for that just to see the image of this because it is it is stunning. So I'm not going to go on too much more but there are two other pieces that I did want to bring up. Canadian Sears also did an exclusive seven pack of figures. Now these boxes were sold in retail stores with seven carded figures inside of them. Where the piece becomes really interesting is when it is considered that each of these packs included one of the famous shrink wrapped figures which were distributed exclusively by Sears Canada in the early 80s. Anybody that's not sure on the shrink wrap, go and have a Google. General Veers is the most famous example. But these were um, these were incredible figures. They were just on a plain back card and they were shrink wrapped plastic. Completely different looking card. But these seven packs had one in. Now, these seven packs were advertised in the Sears catalogue. $21.99 for a seven pack and one of them did include Vader. A really nice set actually. Darth Vader, Princess Leia Organa, so in the white gown. Stormtrooper Death Squad Commander, Luke Skywalker X-Wing Pilot, so you need this set in your Focus Jez, and then it also had Han Hoth and an Ugnaught, but there was another four sets of these, one of them had uh, Luke Skywalker in his farm boy outfit, but that, that came with Boba Fett, Lobot, Lando IG-88, Han Solo and a Best Bean Guard, so a bit of a different mix, and you also even got a seven pack which had Greedo, Snaggletooth, Hammerhead, uh, Ben Kenobi Jawa, Tuscan Raider, I, I mean that's another great set, but the Vader set how beautiful would that have been in one of these boxes these boxes were long they had the Canadian the French Canadian you know the Ligure des Etoiles I think that's how you say it with the Empire logo in French in the middle and then this long box which you would you'd be able to see the cards in the front of the box not many examples of that around either very rare as well so if you've got one of those you, you're a lucky duck and the final thing I wanted to bring up with the multi-packs is the German Power of the Force 3 pack now these German Power of the Force 3 packs are some of the few foreign items to bear the Power of the Force logo obviously in Europe we had Trilogo during that period and you didn't see much of Power of the Force over here. The carded figures bundled inside the outer packaging are standard Trilogo carded figures. So that just shows you that the Power of the Force hadn't really come across there. But th this outer packaging was what it was. And it's it's the logo really. So they've got the Star Wars in the shape of Power of the Force in the top left. And then it has got the German for Power of the Force where Power of the Force would used to be written. A great big yellow band going across the, the front of the card. Three Star Wars action figures which is um i mean i probably nailed that uh being fluent in german but and then underneath that zum sondergerangibot so i no idea what that says but then it's got the beautiful parker sign there is some stunning vintage star wars stuff with parker written on them and then there's there's various packs but i will say the the one with vader what a three pack combination darth vader luke skywalker original han solo original oh 
does it get any better than that if i was one of those three focus collectors you would go hard for one of these and i mean hard in trying to find the one back of the card's quite interesting it emits some of the 93 figures and in the upper right hand image of some of the figures and they're missing some key accessories you've got a uh, layer endor there without her poncho on and tebow has just uh he's just wearing his stuff completely wrong wicket's naked it's it's a very very strange image considering it's so far in the line but these are my standout mailer pieces for vader standout multi-pack stuff for vader there is other stuff out there if people do want to share their multi-packs and other things i have missed or even their two back combinations head over to weird generation skywalker on facebook and um, hopefully you can start a thread over there jez and put those on there good work commander leave us Conduct your search and bring his companions to me. Yes, my lord. Brilliant stuff. Cheers, dude. Now, I can't wait. Let's get back to Bill to find out all about his collection with the second of our interviews. We would be honoured if you would join us. So going on to collecting then. I'd like you just to go through some of your some of your items and we can start off with you may as you've already sort of alluded to the pre-production items if you if you wouldn't mind just talk me through what you have and and if there's any particular sort of collecting stories which go with your pre-production run I, I think I I, re, I got into collecting the pre-production stuff so heavily was because at the time I, I guess my sort of my direction that I was taking my collection was I didn't want the stuff that everybody could get or that was easy to find. I wanted a challenge. And that was just a natural segue into collecting, like, you know, like getting into two, the double telescoping sabers, uh, pre-production, things like that. And that was, that was stuff. I mean, it really got me excited the most, you know, because I still collected production items, you know, here and there, but, uh, yeah, it was just such a challenge. And, you know, obviously, fortunately, at the time, I've been doing it so long, the stuff was, uh, you know, wasn't too, too crazy expensive. But it, I don't know, I, just, I think it was just, it's almost like a sort of this childhood thing. It's like, you know, you have a toy, and you kind of don't want anybody else to have the toy, you want to be like the cool dude or something like that. So I don't, I don't know if it's that or just, I think the challenge of really f- trying to, you know, find those items that were, were truly historically significant or truly rare. And um, yeah, that, I think that was what kind of motivated me the most as far as going out, my, my, you know, direction of the, I was taking, like I said, taking a collection. I, I don't know. It's like, I think, I think my, probably my, my favorite story or favorite item, it was an item that actually took me 17 years to get. So yeah. And if you're listening to that and you haven't been collecting very long, I, I did say 17, one seven. Short of two decades, uh, it took to find, it was a uh, very, very early internal Kenner four-inch prototype that came out. And it's one of the, it's called a mushroom tip saber. And these were all early in-house stuff at Kenner. It was stuff that was pretty much put together by hand. And, you know, at the time, these early prototypes, even then, back, you know, back in the day, were just, they never came up for sale. Or when they did, they were like these earth-shattering finds or groups that showed up through like you know, dealers like the earth or, you know, Tom Derby would find stuff and it was just, but still there were certain things that just, you know, 20 years ago, you just never really, you know, you just didn't see very much. So anyway, this thing sold through toy shop 
and unfortunately I missed the auction. There was a, a problem with the call-in, so I was kind of upset about that and just traced it over the years until I figured out who had it. And I reached out and I said, hey, you know, it's super excited about this piece. If you ever want to let it go, please let me know. You know, I'll, I'll do anything I have to do to get this thing. And so, yeah, so the guy finally, he honored our agreement and let me know one day and said, hey, man, I'm going to let this thing go. We agreed on a price. And it, it involved, I had to fly from D.C. to Los Angeles to go pick it up and uh, met, hung out for about half an hour, turned around, went right back through security and got on the plane and flew home. So, Brilliant. yeah. So 17 years and a, a round trip that I flight across the country to get this thing. So. But it was it was worth it. Still, it's it's one of my favorite pieces. So it was it was well worth it. Oh man, that's awesome! So the mushroom tip. So that's the very, correct me if I'm wrong. So that's the very earliest DT, which had the tiny little sort of mushroom end to it, which would assist with the pulling out of the arm. Is that correct? Yeah, it was. I think it was the first iteration of the of the of the double telescoping saber. Um, yeah. When you see the design, it's the mechanics of it. It's pretty obvious why that wasn't progressed. The the mushroom tip is actually it's it's a little bit different, but it had to be applied by hand. And then of course you have just the mechanics of it. you can't you have to insert the saber, put the tip on. You know it's basically three pieces. So yeah, it's, it was wasn't hard to figure out why that didn't go because it's like well that's not gonna that's not in the design for mass production. But uh, yeah, the, like the figure, everything else they came from very early molds that are specific to that figure, so they don't. There's details on it that absolutely they don't match up to the production figure, which which I think oh, right. actually makes it a little bit more cool. So yeah. yes, so that's not even your sort of regular. <laughs> he says your regular first shot Vader. So it's it's different to that. It's different to the production Vader as well as the saber. Yeah, yeah. The saber, oh, right. the saber is actually yeah. The saber and the figure are yeah. There, there's significant differences between that and uh, the production. Well, no wonder you um, stayed firm and 17 years later, you got exactly what you're after. I probably wouldn't have wanted to do anything after that trip as well. I would have not wanted to have left the airport. It would have been, no, I'm going straight home. Well, I, th I think it's it's kind of funny. It's like, that's I guess maybe one of my collecting superstitions is like, you know, I really don't talk about stuff until I have it like literally in hand or, you know, the deal's done and it's I'm back home and it's safe in the Vader, in the Vader vault. So, but yeah, it was, it was crazy because that piece... Like I said, obviously it was something that was super huge to me as far as a collecting goal. It was like, you know, absolutely one of the one of the grails that I had. And then over the years, uh, I've just been super fortunate. Like I found the original I found the original art for the original photo art for that, where the figure was actually used. And then I found out through uh, so you know, through some of our French friends that it's actually the same figure that was used for a lot of their photography from Mercano. So it's just like I was able to to go back through and really dig up a lot of the history on the figure, and it's just I don't know. I don't know. That's that's probably one of those ones I'd never saw. Oh, I understand. That's brilliant. What is available when we go back to the sort of original wax sculpts and everything else? Are, are these things available? Are, are they in your collection? Uh, well, there is one sculpt that I'm aware of that is unfortunately not in my collection, which I'd definitely love to have. Hard copies. I have actually never seen a four-inch Vader hard copy, or even a piece, which I always thought was odd. So I don't know. Somebody's got those on lockdown, and they've been hiding them for 30 years. But uh, hard copy stage, 
The only one that I have seen is the one I own, and that's the one from uh, Top Toys. So, right. yeah, but yeah, from the original four inch Vader, I've yeah never even seen so much as a, as a maybe even like a part of definitely like I have a 15 inch hard copy. Um, so they they definitely exist, but uh, now the super super early stuff just yeah I really don't see that very often. As far as see first shots, I don't think it, it's almost like a stage that I think was I don't know if it was skipped, but I am not actually aware of any really any first shots outside of the internal first shots, like the super early ones. And of those, there's what one two, I think there's three. Yeah, I think there's four of those in right. different iterations. And uh, fortunately, I actually own two of those. Impressive. Most impressive. 2D items. One proof card or, or a range of proof cards which always leap out to my mind. And that's the Power of the Force concept mock-ups. They almost look like they were made in a school. I believe I've seen those in your collection. Is that right? Have you got the Power of the Force concept mock-ups? Oh, they, um, I think they were the, actually the Revenge of the Jedi. And right. Yes, that's yeah, right. Were, yeah, yeah. So they were, they were definitely trying out different logos. And at one point, let me see. I think if you go, it's actually funny. If you go through the Tomart Worldwide Guide to, you know, the, sort of the, the OG yeah. uh, collecting book um, and the one in a slipcase, there's actually a whole section a supplement section in it with nothing but prototypes. And I think there's one page. It's like the whole page is uh, lists out the majority of those. And I think, yeah, I think at one time I had like, I think I had 10 of those. Right. But yeah, the, the Vader's actually, I ended up selling those to another a really good Vader friend. Um, those went to go find a, a, a nice prop purchase. So uh, right. but yeah, those, I, I, I think that's probably fair to say it's one of those things I'd kind of like, eh, kind of wish I would have held those up but you know it's you can't have everything absolutely and not, definitely, they definitely, well they, they went to a good home so that's you know it's all good sometimes we have to push things on to fund something big as you say you just got it for a for a prop piece so good for you props to you <laughs> I, I like I like the fact that that particular piece or, or those pieces rather it was just one of those combinations of quite clearly licensed Kenner product but then it just it was just hand drawn on wasn't it it was just it looked like something which would happen in in a junior school or something or other i, I remember it was mark Carraway had the luke x-wing once and he showed me a photograph and it just blew my mind fantastic stuff large size action figures you've already mentioned the 15 inch you know that which as part of the 12 inch line clearly vader's a bit of a big chap now there's um Various different things going on there. We've got the the regular ones, the Canadian ones. If, would you mind telling me what was the deal with the Empire Strikes Back? Was that specific to Australia? So basically, in America, by the time that the line was coming around for the Empire refresh, we all know basically the sales weren't there, so they decided to close it. Um, so there is anecdotal evidence that maybe there was like a test market area where uh, a couple, like I think it was Chewbacca for the most part was actually released in the the, uh, the Empire box. But as far as the Australian releases go, they're actually very specific to Australia. They have actually the printing on the box is different. So if you look at the details on the box and you actually hold them up side by side, there is a significant difference between 
the, you know, the Toll Toys, the Australian version, and, you know, all the other releases. Uh, sort of like Canadian, the Canadian release had all the heights were done in metric, in centimeters. So, you know, they didn't use imperial measurements, um, things like that. The Australian version actually completely omitted the height measurement. There's no imperial or metric measurements on there. So when you look at it, it just says, you know, posable action figure. So it's actually, they're, they're really, really interesting pieces. Uh, you know, once you start getting into it, um, and a lot of people, like, I'm not sure a lot of people realize, but there is actually a Star Wars Toll Toys release for Australia that is specific to Australia. So you just have to know what the box looks like. But yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the Empire release, even on Australia, is super, like, crazy rare. Um, I think I've only seen, I think I've only seen maybe three or four, you know, and that included wow. mine. So yeah, they are, they are insanely rare. And then sticking with that line then, because before I jump onto another, which caught my eye, is it the, um, Bassa 12 inch, what Bassa 15 inch Vader, but it's not quite 15 inch. Is it is, is the Vader smaller for the Bassa one? He is actually, yeah. It's it's based off obviously the mold, and it's. I would love to figure that out actually. I've I've, I've always been interested with that because it's it's not a one to one, you know, off the actual you know figure itself, because the figure is smaller and there are sculpting deep. You know, there's, there's definitely some differences in the figure itself. So yeah, it's it's a little bit smaller. Right, and it was the the other one which caught my eye was the the leddy. You know, people talk about you know the the hard to find leddy figures and i understand that the leddy one is quite hard to find as well is that right oh yeah the, the he's he's another one it's i've definitely seen a few more examples floating around but uh, you know honestly i'd say probably the last 10 years i really haven't seen very much activity as far as you know box examples they're just yeah they are super super tough to find is there any particular large size action figure which you don't have at the moment or is on your radar that you would disclose oh yeah actually a boxed uh boss evader right okay yeah i have right. probably like four or five loose ones but yeah don't have a don't have a box one i'd love to add one yeah but right okay all right listeners get amongst it <laughs> box 12 inch to bass evader please that'd be great now moving away from that only so slightly because there's one range which i think is absolutely brilliant and that's the eight inch and vader vader came under the eight inch line as well didn't he the vintage yeah there was a takara yeah uh, figure and uh that came carded that uh and that was uh, i guess that was the vintage equivalent there are, there are a few modern ones but uh yeah i absolutely love that figure i i have to say i mean of all the stuff, especially all the vintage stuff and even some of the newer stuff, I, I think a lot of the Japanese products are just, just so, so good. Yeah, absolutely. I think R2-D2 collectors have locked in there, haven't they? Because I know that the Japanese have done a great deal of the R2. But yeah, definitely it does seem that Vader did come a close second to what um, the Japanese market were fulfilling. Oh, yeah. So, Bill, I'm going to share with you now an item which I've seen online on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. Mock-up inflatable lightsaber. Mate, that needs to be in your collection if it's not already, if this thing still exists. So this is a confidential internal Kenner photo 
shows what is almost certainly the first three-dimensional representation of the inflatable lightsaber. So actually it's a photograph. So yeah, yeah. I got a bit excited then. You could probably tell in my voice I was getting a bit carried away. <laughs> oh, wow, that is cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is really cool. That's just something oh, that's a bit not... different. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, it's and funny the... because if you... Well, it's, it's like if you look at the hilt, it's almost... it's You can tell it's pretty much inspired by the actual art yeah like the mccory art like if you look at the mccory art that right. uh the way he depicted the sabers yeah that's kind of what it looks like nice yeah that's that's nuts yeah that no good, I, that it? is not that is not part of my collection and uh definitely would not turn it down either <laughs> so that's yeah that's really cool i love looking at the archive it was only i don't know a year or so ago i saw the squirt gun, I think it was the Han Solo squirt gun. So, you know, the pistols, which, you know, Luke and Han did, and they did in Star Wars and Empire and Jedi, you know, box pistols. They had yeah. one of those hollowed out like a squirt gun. And that would have been brilliant. That would have been so good. That, that would have been cool. I think it's the other nuts thing which I saw was the um, Darth Vader utility belt. You know, the one which comes with the belt, and it randomly it comes with a pistol as well. Have you seen oh, that yeah. one? Yeah. 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 I, I my assumption is you have one of those in your collection. Um, well, the interesting thing about those is there's actually two variants of that. Um, All right. Yeah, the first one that came out is if you look at different pictures, a lot of people will miss this, but if you look at the insert itself of the box, there's a vacuum form like a plastic tray, white plastic tray version, and then the other one is actually just like a standard like a reddish sort of a cardboard insert. The, the contents are the same, but it's the insert is kind of what makes it different. But yes, I have actually have both of those. Why? Wow. Yeah, I love those. Those are so they're just weird and quirky. Yeah, they really are cool. I mean, Vader having a pistol. Well, I guess he did when he sort of force pulled hands out of his on Bespin, so it could be that one. But I I recognise that I just spoke about a couple of items and said I assume you've got that in your collection. And I've just sort of checked myself because you've got 70,000 pieces in your collection. So we're not going to do that for the rest of the night because I think the likelihood is you'll say, yeah, I got that. I got that. I got that. There, there's definitely certain things that like you would, you would ask, you said something about the vehicles and things like that. It's like, yeah. um, I don't actually own a Star Destroyer. Um, right. It's, it's one of those things that kind of going back to what I said before, it's like a lot of my, my hard and fast rule is like, there's things that, you know, if I like it, I collect it. And kind of going back to my childhood, it was like one of those things that I just never had. And so I just never, I think, got emotionally invested in it. So kind of going forward, it was like, it was one of those things like, nah, I mean, it's cool, but it's not really like Vader specific enough cool. It's like a playset. Yeah. And I think that's the way my brain kind of filtered it. It's like, well, it's kind of like this generic playset, you know, not really getting a huge Vader, Vader vibe out of it. But, uh, yeah, really, I don't have an extensive uh, collection as far as a lot of the vehicles, especially like the Tie Fighters, go. Um, you know, some of the some of our friends that are Vader collectors as well. I mean, some of the guys have, I think they've almost put together complete runs of all the different packaging, which I mean, they look amazing. You know, they're super cool, but it, it's just just not really my thing. No, I understand that. I understand that entirely with regards to the uh, Star Destroyer. But also, as you said earlier on, space, isn't it? It's, well, not space in the in galaxy far, far away, but s physical space in your collection rooms and, and within your property to have these, you know, 
taken up a lot of space already, aren't they? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, you know, space is, it's such a premium because, you know, when you start thinking about the practical side of it, like one of the guys that asked about the lighting, um, like here's, here's a good example, sort of a mental exercise is how do you display or how do you curate your 2D items? And I don't necessarily mean the easy stuff, like the proof cards, like there's a lot of people that have, you know, like I, I have a Chrome one proof. Uh, for a Darth Vader Empire Strikes Back case. I mean, the thing's like the size of a movie poster. So it's like, you know, the bigger stuff is like super challenging, especially for 2D because you can't, you know, it's insane to even think that you could display it all. So there's things like, uh, I use a map cabinet or sort of like a blueprint cabinet, just, you know, common office thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, you're allowed to, to store a lot of stuff, but it's like, you know, yeah, it's the, thing, the thing's huge. You know, it's the, the floor footprint of, of a movie poster, but it's like four feet high. So it's like, you know, it's, a, it's bigger than most people's refrigerators. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's cha- definitely challenging. I mean, you know, you, I, I think what I do is it's it's sort of a distillation process as far as in as far as what I want to display. The things that are super important to me or the things that I just personally enjoy seeing on a daily basis are usually the items that I'm, I'm going to put out. So, you know, and it, it's, it, it can be an eclectic range of stuff for sure. I mean, I original movie props on display and, you know, a $2 Burger King toy. So, you know, it's, there's, yeah, <laughs> space is a premium. <laughs> and then talking of something which shouldn't take up too much space before we go on to the sort of film memorabilia, cast and crew, etc. bootlegs, be it Uzai or, or, or Polish. How do bootlegs fit into your collection, or, or do they? It's that's a good question. I, I think, I think generationally for me, when the bootlegs really started hitting the market, I mean, I was there, believe it or not, when the first Uze started coming out, and it was just, I mean, stuff that was so accessible and cheap that you know, I just picked it up more as a curiosity type of a thing, and definitely over the years, over the decades, um, it's the kind of thing that. For me, and as far as my collecting aesthetic, I don't really think was necessarily a good fit. And plus, Ed, when I started evaluating the cost and I saw the values of stuff, it was just something I just I didn't really want to pursue. You know, I, I, I love the items. I think they're super cool. Like I said, it's it, I mean, you can tell a lot of the quirky sort of oddball stuff are the things that I really like. And I mean, bootlegs definitely, serve, you know, fit that purpose. You know, they're definitely, you know, they can be quirky and a little, a little odd, odd at times. But yeah, it just, it wasn't something I think that I just could, could really entertain as far as time and, and, you know, finances. I think what I, I picked up, well, arguably, I, I still think I had one of the nicest men on card Uzo Vaders. And I think I paid like a whopping 200 bucks for it at the time. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, good for you. Mate, so moving on to, uh, yeah. I know that you're a huge film fan. Um, and that's the part of it, you know, what do we have then? If you were to curate me around your um, sort of presentation room, around the Vader vault, if you were to say, right, okay, we've got a few minutes, I must show you this or I must talk to you about this, um, let's do it. Let's imagine I'm there. What have you got to show me? I, I think the, the first thing I would show you is actually it's it's still my grail piece. I'll probably get buried with it is uh one of the 
helmets from a new hope that that was production made it just was never finished so that it was just like the grail of grails for me is to be able to get any prop from a new hope of vader like i didn't care what it was if it was like a scrap of some black fat fabric that somebody found in a garbage can and said oh yeah yeah it's like one of the guys that one of the costume guys saved this for 30 years i would still i'd be over the moon with something like that so i never never in a million years even in my wildest expectations could even reasonably think or assume that i'd ever own something like that so that's that's definitely definitely one of the highlights i was able to uh, fortunately i was able to pick up what was what still exists from the george lucas super live adventure that was done by Kenneth Fell Productions in Japan. But uh, through whatever reason, I was able to pick up uh, the helmet from that. And a little bit of what was left over of the costume. So, right. Um, yeah, those, those things are, I mean, I think those, those are the, the things that I really like the most. You know, it just represents sort of that tangible connection to the history of something I basically grew up, I've been in love with my whole life. And just to be able to hold an actual piece of that history you know, in my hands and just to, just to have the opportunity to have that in my collection is, you know, it's, to me, that's kind of like why, why I started collecting in the first place. It just, it's one of those things that sits all the boxes, man. I just, I just love it. It epitomizes everything, doesn't it? I mean, you, you say you can hold it in your hands, but I guess that just holds an audience. As soon as you walk in and see that, I would just stop still and just look at it in wonder. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, I, I can I can completely get why that's a standout piece for you. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I, th- I think it's this that uh, you know, like when you go to a museum, and you know, if you're historically inclined or you understand the history about the things that you're looking at, or or you know, for me, for example, for the industry I'm in, that you know, I, I can go to like a, an air and space museum and and see the actual thing that I have. I'm intimately familiar with historically is just uh, I you just can't, you can't really describe it. It's just, it's just surreal to, you know, to be that close to something. And, and I think I have that same sentiment when it comes to the collecting side, there are, there are things that I just, you know, you, you have such a strong connection to. And then if somebody comes in and like, Hey man, this is the actual thing. It's yours. And it's yeah, this surreal to me yeah completely you go into an air and space museum in the uk you know we've got we've got american hangers with sr71s and and everything and it's just you have that sort of library moment where everyone's just quiet respecting it and just wandering around and, and seeing history from various world war one two and everything else and, and this is the equivalent from our galaxy far far away wonderful oh yeah yeah and sort of backdrop to that then i understand you you've got storyboards and, and various different bits building that movie magic as well yeah oh yeah yeah i i absolutely love uh almost well i should say there probably is very little that within the context of vader that is not like cast crew uh you know storyboards things like that that i don't absolutely love um, I picked up quite a few, uh, you know, storyboards. Um, I've been incredibly lucky to actually own some originals. Um, yeah, I, I love all that stuff. Like I said, it's just, to me, it's, 
it is a the literal expression of you know being able to hold history in your hands and that's just to me is just like the pinnacle of that's like the zenith of my collecting sort of experience is just just to be able to hold that yeah um Oh, no, I completely get it. I'm, I'm in there now. I, I can visualize it. I, you know, I've seen the videos that you've shared or all the um, sort of TV documentaries. And uh, yeah, wonderful. I get, I know that there's so much passion and joy in this. You know, you walk into the vault and you still get that buzz, yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. There's, you know, there's there's some things that are just so, so just so incredibly special um, that, you know, I definitely like some of the, like the original art I own. Um, you know, I, I've been super fortunate to be able to own pieces from some of my favorite artists. And, uh, yeah, there isn't a time like, you know, I'm sitting in here right now and it's like, you know, I, I look at this piece hanging up and I'm like, I just, I love that today at this moment as much as the day that I picked it up and I bought it and I brought it home. You know, there's like a good example is my friend Bruce White. And what Bruce is known for is creating portraits on, you know, black velvet. Yeah. And of course, like in America, that's like a cliche thing. It always was. It was like, oh, yeah, these velvet paintings of Elvis. And but he has refined it and used the medium and in, in, in this, the stuff he does is insane. Like the, the Vader piece he did for me is still like it blew me away when I saw it. And it's still one of the things it's like, you know, people walk in, they just immediately gravitate towards it. And it's, it's just one of those things that makes you happy. Or like uh, I have an original Mark Ratz, uh, Darth Vader that, that we had talked about as a commission, you know, and I, I obviously Mark is just like this, just crazy, stupid genius artist. Um, you know, he's, I don't know what, I think he's done everything for Lucasfilm, but I talked to him. I was like, man, I'd really like to get something, but this is like when Rogue One was coming out. And uh, I, I said, man, I'd love to get something sort of like an idealized, like a new hope Vader, but something freshened up for, for rug one. And he did this piece for me and I just like almost got, you know, I got tears in my eyes. I just couldn't believe that this guy did this for me. It's like, it was so insanely good and I'm just off the chart for anything I had even hoped for. Um, you know, yeah, that's, that's an own, like some guy, I think actually got that, t- that is a tattoo, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, you know, I think in a larger sense, I mean, maybe maybe that's a good point to make is there's one thing I wish I would see from some of the newer collectors is just, I think, a level of that kind of passion for things, because I think people become too myopic about, you know, oh, I just got to get this deal. I got to find this stuff and I got to make a score. And I got to do this and do that. And, you know, the one thing is devoid of this process or what I see now is there's just not a lot of like super crazy passion for stuff. I mean, and that, that's a generalization. So, you know, there's absolutely, you know, like just today I was reading something that somebody had posted and they found this thing that they had been looking for, you know, for 20 years. And it's like, you know, super stoked for them. And that's awesome. And that's the way it should be. You know, there's stuff that if you, if it isn't giving you a level of pleasure or enjoyment, then you're, you're just in the wrong business or you're in the wrong hobby. You know, and it's like I've been doing this a long time and there's stuff that I just I absolutely just still to this day. I love absolutely. And uh, it's uh, yeah. So I guess that would be my 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 collecting takeaway for for a lot of this is, uh, 
you know, just, just, man, just collect what you love, honestly. You know, whatever makes you happy, don't collect what, you know, five other people tell you that you should be collecting or makes them happy. It doesn't matter yeah. what it is. I mean, hell, man, I got laughed at when I started, like, legit. I can't tell you guys, they thought I was crazy. They just, they laughed or kind of blew me off thinking, oh, man, well, you only want to collect one thing. Now it's like a common hobby practice. Yeah. So, you know. You were like the OG focus collector, weren't you? You were one of the very first focus collectors. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I think there was there was probably like three or four of us, or maybe like five guys. Like uh, like there was John Wooten and uh, a couple guys did like Jawa. Um, John Kellerman did Leia. So yeah, I mean there, there were definitely guys. You know, definitely guys doing the single single focus thing. I think maybe, I think I was maybe the one that was maybe more vocal about it or more kind of aggressive about just collecting one thing. Now I listened to your episode on the Kivecast uh, just this week. I listened to that again, went back to that. And uh, this guy asks you the question, what about your Holy Grail? To which at that stage you didn't answer it because I think you kind of alluded to it earlier on. Keep your cards close to your chest until the deal is done. But the Holy Grail, which you had in your mind back in, I think that was 2011, that episode. Has that actually come into your... Is this the piece which took 17 years? Or or is there something else which you're able to share with us? I'd have to... I, I think at the time, yeah. I'd have to go back and, and look at that and, and kind of kind of calibrate the timeline there. But I think, it, I think in 2011, it definitely would have been... Um, I think it was an obtuse idea, like I said, about getting, being able to find any sort of a New Hope era Vader prop. Um, or, I mean, honestly, anything, anything from the OT. If it was an OT Vader prop, I wanted it. It didn't matter what it was from. So at the time, that's probably what I was alluding to. I don't think it was necessarily anything specific. Um, there's, like, even now, there's stuff that I've, I got in the pipeline now that, you know, until it's like physically sitting in my hands, I still don't, you know, I won't talk about it until it's there. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I think externally with, when it comes to discussing your grails, I mean, collecting is competitive, you know, I mean, let's be, let's be honest about it. It's, it's very, it's very competitive. And I, I think once you've made a little bit of a name for yourself or some notoriety, you know, for, for the stuff you do, I think advertising it is definitely going to cause you competition. Absolutely. You know, yeah. there's, there's things that will come up and be like, Oh man, Hey, uh, you know, Bob is like a huge R2D2 collector and he's been doing this, you know, same thing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Oh, he's, he's going super hard for this one piece. And it's like, well, obviously if, if he's doing that, then that's going to attract attention. So uh, yeah, that's, the, that's definitely like, as far as my more secret stuff. Yeah. I, I usually keep that to myself. Sure. Now I'm going to go completely off track now then. So moving away from grails, moving away from this and the other, as I close now, there was one thing which I saw, which was Darth Vader Coca-Cola. Now, I believe that that was a custom, possibly maybe Bill Cable or, or, or someone like that. Swag, you know, it's becoming more and more popular nowadays or customs. What's your favorite piece of vader swag or custom and what is the story behind that darth vader coke uh well okay so the darth vader coke actually that was a gift um from martin Thurn. he was he's the president of the uh the washington dc area uh, collectors club 
and he had these things made up and he, he hand them over and I'm just like, wow, that's really cool. It's, that's a really good question. What is my favorite bit of Vader swag? I mean, hmm, that's a good question. I gotta think about that for a minute. I mean, I have seen, I, I will say across the board, the the swag collecting game and, and as far as what uh, what I see people making for celebration and some of these other shows is just insane. I mean, there's people are so creative and so talented. It's almost like it's like man, I don't even know what I would do to to, to keep up with some of the stuff I've seen. It's uh, it's so good. Um, hmm. Okay, so I got it. I just figured it out. So my favorite Vader swag is. They are actually party favors from uh, Ralph McQuarrie's birthday. And for the birthday celebration, uh, what is these little things they made up for all the guests that were invited? These uh, little tiny, uh, they kind of look like the palm talkers. They're like two and a half, three inches tall. Uh, they were actually fast food toys. They're like, I think they're like Burger King or something. And they made these things up, and it's like they put little party hats on them. And on the bottom, it says, you know, Ralph McCory's birthday, blah, blah, blah. And so there were two different events. There was one for his birthday and another for, like, another celebration he had. And I was able to get both of those. And those are those are probably probably my favorite because I think, obviously, the Ralph McCory, uh, you know, connection. Yeah. And then just, you know, a friend of mine through collecting, he, he knew I'd really appreciate it. So he actually gave those to me. Um that's yeah. Those are those are probably my two favorite Vader swag items. Outstanding! Oh, brilliant, Bill. Thank you so much for giving up so much of your time tonight uh, to go through your collection and to share some of your stories with us. I really, really appreciate it. Before I let you go, Star Wars Celebration in London next year. Any chance you're coming over to Europe soon? I w- I would very much like to. I am, I guess, in the enviable position of uh, I just actually got a promotion to uh, to an engineering position with, on my program, so it's it's going to consume a lot of my time. So it's just been super challenging to to kind of make those plans. But if it, if at all possible, yes, absolutely. Well, we would absolutely love to see you over here next year if that's possible. But congratulations on the promotion, and uh, yeah, we'll just watch that space. But mate, thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant. I've loved, I've loved speaking with you this evening, Bill McBride, Guinness World Record holder, the Don of Darth Vader. Thank you so much. You are Generation Skywalker. Oh, thank you. Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Remember, the Force will be with you. Always. Wonderful stuff. And we'll hear a little bit more from Bill later on with a rapid fire round. Now Dan, as you know, Bill's spoken about the 12-inch Vader or the 15-inch Vader from the 12-inch line. Didn't you buy one recently at auction? Yeah, I'm not... um... I've not been into the 12 inch figures or the large size action figures at all. I've always, I've always shied away from them, but I think, you know, when you start to run out of things to buy, <laughs> you start to look for other options. And uh, yeah, I've, um, I've just on eBay and came across one that wasn't, it was particularly poorly listed, but it didn't seem to get much interest, but it was in a really nice uh, Denny's Fisher box. Got it for a great price. And 
I think with this this Vader figure, I think the sculpt of it's a little it's a little bit undervalued. I don't, you know, when you think of you know twelve inch figures in nineteen seventy seven, you don't think of the quality of this is that the sculpt is absolutely amazing. I'd say the, the you know the, the mask they've sculpted back then is, is is possibly one of the best I've seen. It's really good. I think the I think the only thing that really lets it down is the cape. He's got a nice little bow. Looks like he's wearing a bow tie on the front. But other than that, it's a a beautiful a beautiful figure and and the box as well. Yeah, the Denny's Fisher one was one built. I don't think he mentioned in the interview, but the it's it's the uh, subsidiary of of Palatoy uh, did a bit of digging into this. I think it's probably been covered a number of times by other individuals more educated than me. But I think the the layer and the the loop both came in Palatoy boxes for the most part. They they took on the manufacturing of those, and Denny's Fisher, who was like I say a subsidiary of, of Palatoy, Palatoy obviously too busy. You know, distributing all of the three and three quarter inch, sub that out to Denny's Fisher, and yeah, they they produced the the UK line of the of the twelve inch figures, and yeah, Vader was one of them. So yeah, lovely lovely figure and a nice a nice company logo, Denny's Fisher. I, I didn't have in my collection before. Is it sealed, mate? No, hasn't got the insert either. Need an insert. It's the same picture on the card back. Have you used the same image off the of the uh, Kenner card or the Palatoy card back, Kenner card back, three and three quarter inch card back? So they've still got that. They're using that same image. It's got the racetrack around the the uh, the, the, the window of where the, where the character you can see the, the the figure inside, and underneath that uh, an image of, of Vader. It's the same image used on the Darth Vader's Tie Fighter, where they've got that dark Darth Vader looking looking to a profile there. Yeah, it's got the, the little pill the pill box like you get on the carded figures with his name on. Nice variation of the the layout for the vintage card backs. Nice. Cheers, mate. No, I was I remember when you got that and uh yeah, you were well chuffed. So yeah, nice nice addition. Yeah, I would like one line. of those if anyone spots one of those Empire Strikes back Australian Darth Vader's I'd uh, yeah, I'd quite like one of those. There's probably a queue with that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very nice. I think the other thing that was nice about Bill's interview was, um, I think he said that it was the Darth Vader's Death Star, oh, not Death Star, Star Destroyer. It was an item he didn't actually own. <laughs> yeah. So I've, so I've actually got something in my collection, Darth Vader related, that he hasn't got. And he's probably got 69,995 <laughs> pieces that you don't have. But yeah, he. I love the fact he just said, I got no connection with that one. So uh, it's space, isn't it? space and you've got to have boundaries and rules haven't you i like the fact when he was talking about his, his own collecting and that he has got rules and i you know when you've got a collection outside i think you have you've got her haven't you to uh <laughs> to maintain control of especially with a character like vader you underestimate the power of the dark side let's have another little look at the carded figures i know we've jumped around a little bit but as happens with a lot of the principal characters you think about luke skywalker you think about han you think about chewbacca and stormtroopers you know they they change their photography on on the card back don't they on the card art as we come through so on the uh, original ones you've got vader just looking with his red lightsaber ignited and goes all the way through and then you start to see the card change don't you to it's the classic then Vader just looking forward like we see on pictures, posters, jigsaws. So that's the, the Tops toys have it that way round. We move on as we get to, I think it's around about, yeah, so it's the 65D that we change. So we've got that Vader straight on. What are your thoughts on the card backs with regards to your, your preference, any of you? He's actually got a purple lightsaber, not a red one in there. 
another another class piece of Photoshop by Kenner. <laughs> I am not colorblind, and yeah, you're right. It is purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I think the, the the I really like. I've got the the Empire Strikes Back card. Invaders one of my favorite, but I really wish they'd used a scene from Empire on that card because there's so many great steals from that movie. And yeah, I think the uh, the one they used originally. I don't think it's the greatest image in the world. It's a bit blurry. I mean, it's probably half the problem with it being such a, a black character, just black on black. Just, yeah, it's hard to set it off, isn't it? But yeah, the, the second image is quite iconic as well. That, 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 that photo of Vader. And like you say, it's used, I think I've got a puzzle of that image as well. It's, it's, it was quite widely used, that image. But I don't know if I prefer it to the original or not. I do like Vader in a, in a fighting pose. I think I prefer that aesthetic. Yeah, from a from a design perspective, the the second one they used is just neater. I mean, it's it just fills the space better. Everything sits a little bit more harmoniously. But but given the choice, I think the original one is just I don't know. It gives me the feels a little bit more because that's the one I remember from a lot more from back in the day. Yeah, it's interesting because it it does appear that different countries have swapped it around a little bit more. And then actually, when you look. Our Troy logo, as we know it, stuck with the original. So our Troy logo, you know, we didn't change. We never changed, in fact. It, it, that one face-on, the, the second one, the newer one, obviously that was Kenner, Kenner Canada, that's all fine, all covered off. Yeah, so that, that one just didn't come to the UK from a palatoy point of view. Yeah, Kenner Imports for sure. But what a thought was interesting and for the power of the force they revert back to the original artwork for the power of the force so i wonder why that was yeah I was, I was just looking at that it looks to be really struggling to hold up as well i mean they've zoomed in on a pretty fuzzy image already they've cropped even tighter on it yeah you know i see this i see a lot of the changes i see the changes they did for hannah I see the changes they did for chewy and it did come across to me that they were trying to make them less aggressive they're, they're less weapons in the changes there are there are sort of less of an action pose in a lot of respects for a lot of these figures and and the Darth Vader face on the close-up one yeah it certainly doesn't look as menacing necessarily I love the Anakin sticker on it though uh, there was there was a beta carded Darth Vader which was doing the rounds on Star Wars forum from like I don't know easily from 2009 for about five years and it just kept on changing hands and I had it for a while and it was the Anakin sticker slap bang straight over Vader's face and I really loved it it would be nice to know who's got that one now but yeah just just wanted your your opinion on, on the change in card art and what you thought of it so that card art that was the first figure I ever bought off of SWFUK back in the day, what, 10 years ago? I really? I can't remember. I bought it off now. Yeah, that was the first, my first mint on card purchase from that um, forum. Nice. And I've still got it. You've still got it. Sweet. Yeah. And then obviously there's the Glass Leet as well, which has uh, got its pretty much generic card with just the Darth Vader, uh, Darth Vader sticker on it. So yeah, a few different versions. What else was there? Who else brought out the uh, Darth Vader? Not necessarily carded. Poppy or Poppy. So yeah, oh, yeah. Emperor Strikes Back one as well. One of those many ones which came out. 
So yeah, part of the run, Darth Vader Poby. So from a focus point of view, all sorts of stuff, fun of the fair for everyone. You found something. Yes, my That's it. The rebels are there. So let's head back to the variant villains with Jamie and Mark, who are going to delve into the fascinated world of the foreign variants. And this is going to separate the Returno from the Regresso. Shall we move on to some of the later figures? There's a couple of interesting variants, aren't there, including the blank raised bar. Yeah, well, as the line went on, uh, Kenner's policy on the COOs moved into more of a, a situation where they were drilling into the moulds themselves to remove the COOs, which is essentially what that raised bar is, a bar of over where the Hong Kong was. So now you have a blank raised bar. Excellent. Are you happy now to move on to the foreign variants? With the transition one that we should probably talk about first is POC. The parts from the the parts from the Cader and Unitoy factories in the late Empire Strikes Back era, those parts were bought by the Spanish licensee POC. Over in Spain, they took those parts, they painted them, they assembled them, and they sold them off into their market. Those figures can be quite often mixed up. It's quite a hard one to to identify as well because there's very little paint on Vader and paint is really what the POC line is about. It's the unique paint. I mean, the parts themselves are Asian produced, but it's the paint that was applied in Spain and the assembly. So yeah, they're quite a hard figure to differentiate from the Asian ones. To the best of my understanding, POC used imported Vader capes produced from the you know the two likely suspects, Cader and Unitoy. Until we do a, a full guide, there's just no way of being 100% certain about that. But to the best of my knowledge, imported late Empire Strikes Back vinyl capes from Asia. Uh, shall we move on to the Takara Vader sculpt? It's one of a lot of people's favourites. Can you tell me what it is and how it differs? The very first license to sell Star Wars toys in Japan was Takara. They had a line of three figures, which is C-3PO, the Stormtrooper, and our good old friend Darth Vader. This figure is one of the tougher ones to find. The sculpt is entirely unique. Takara lightsaber is shorter. Cape is unique. And they look quite different to the regular Hong Kong produced ones. So they have that sort of allure about them. Being rare, one thing, but then also looking different. When you're looking through all your Vader side by side, quite often they can look quite similar. You put the Takara in there as well. And it just has a wow factor. How about uh, Lily Letty? I understand they've got a version with a Hong Kong coup. Uh, they do. It's This is a very tough figure to find. It's their early Retorno release. Um, so the moulds themselves were taken from Hong Kong. They were sent across and Lily Lady produced a very small batch of Hong Kong COO'd Darth Vader figures from the Unitoy factory. So very thin saber. The cape itself is unique. These are all unique accessories that were made in Mexico to abide by the laws at that point in time. Okay, so this is a harder to find one, and that, I guess, account for the price difference between that and the Regresso. Yeah, the Regresso Vader is one of the made in Mexico figures. So this is one of the, the unique sculpts that Lily Liddy had that were produced at high volume and exported outside of Mexico. So it's one of the first exports that Liddy Liddy did in this later era. And these these figures were sent to the US market and they can be found on 77 back cards. It's a much easier to find figure. There's still a higher value in it. You know, it is ultimately a, a Liddy Liddy figure. Thicker saber, unique sculpt and a blobbed COO. 
for the Made in Mexico Darth Vader. Okay, just uh, for clarification, you mentioned earlier that there are two variants for Lily Leddy, the Vitorno and the Regresso. Guessing there's two different sabers, you even touched on it there, but there's only one unique mould listed on Variant Villain. Can you just clarify? The Regresso with the thick tip is the unique mould. So the Liddy Leddy Retorno has the thin tip that was the mould was sent across from the Unitory factory in Asia. So they produced their run of figures with a very thin tip. On the later Made in Mexico series, Liddy Leddy had their own uh, mould, as I mentioned earlier, for the figure. But it's the same thing applies for the Sabre. So, yeah, you get this thicker tip um, version of the Sabre, which Liddy Leddy used on their aggressive line. OK, moving on from one of the rarest, there's the PVP figure from Spain. Can you tell us a little about that one? The PPP produced Vader. It's a bit of a two-lane highway. The first one they did has a blobbed COO. That one's a bit harder to find. It's got a unique saber to it that has more of a orangey sort of look. Now, that's the first PPP figure. The second one that they exported, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's definitely harder to find. That one there has their more traditional scarred COO, so like the deep scar. There's a number of different cape types. We call it rugose, like a leathery sort of look. And there's different sort of thicknesses of the capes. I think there's about four different versions, various degrees of thickness, essentially. The Sabre on the later export is a Hong Kong produced imported accessory. So it's not one that they made in Spain. And that's the rounded transition Sabre. OK, we've got two final foreign variants, the Top Toys and the Glass Leet. Okay, well, Glass Leap first. Brazil, similar to what we discussed last time with the R2 pop-up, much later on, in around 88, took on a handful of the Cater China molds and produced a very small run of figures, Vader being one of them. It has a unique saber, so they produce their own molds for the saber, and a unique cape. So the figure itself has a f it has a few little characteristics. It's a bit shinier. Obviously, the paint is different. There's not a lot in the actual figure itself, but you can differentiate it yeah it's the accessories you're going to pay a lot of money for particularly with that one lastly is the top toys top toys is another crazy outlier an argentine uh, license that produced their own limited run taken from casts of the original kenner figures so the top toys vader when you look at it it's a bit smaller very poorly produced it has a bootleg feel to it these figures they're hard to find. I mean, it's it's from Argentina. It's a very small market. What survives nowadays is, you know, difficult to come across. The accessories are unique. The the cape is unique. And the actual figure has a completely unique look about it as well. Brilliant information. Cheers, Mark. Uh, any final impressions of the figure? Like, let's hear from yourself. What do you think, mate? When you first look at Vader, when you first start collecting, you honestly look at it and you think all of them look and feel the same. Started to collect it, started to enjoy it a lot more. Realised there's just hundreds of variants. I'm so glad they're working on a cape guide because it's so easy to get these all mixed up. I just look forward to that and to sorting out my collection. It's probably the most difficult uh, in terms of the breadth and the the knowledge required to really get a handle on all the variations for this figure. It, it is a beast, which is appropriate for the Dark Lord. And um, yeah, hopefully we've managed to make this cohesive and give you the information that you need just to sort of get the ball rolling on a bit of understanding for the Darth Vader figure. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Back to you. Lads, thank you so much. Now I know the difference from my Takara to my Top Toys. You've brilliantly explained that. So thank you ever so much for your time. Craig, coming to you, mate. Darth Vader carry cases. Darth Vader carry case.
I'm sure everyone is familiar with this thing, but for those who aren't, it's a semi-3D head and shoulders bust, which is hinged at the bottom. It's got three clasps around the edge and it's designed to hold 31 figures with a little compartment for accessories. So if you imagine 15 figures either side, that gives you an idea of the size of this thing. It also has a little handle, which... Uh, is suggested by the name carry case. I mean, for me, I think it's a lovely item that never really quite worked as it should. The the figures would rattle around and would invariably fall out when you opened it. But it was one of the things when I first saw it advertised, and I'll come on to that in a in a bit. I just had to have it, and it was always quite a desirable thing for me as as a kid collecting this stuff back in the day. By all accounts, it's seemingly ubiquitous in the US. It was first issued in 1980 as, a, I think, a catalogue exclusive. It, it came in a mailer box without any packaging, but it did come with this shaped insert that would that would always sort of follow the, the outline of the uh, of the case and be printed both sides with with action figures. In, in the remaining few years, it was reissued seven times. So it gives you some idea as to why it's probably one of the things that most kids in America eventually got hold of. So between 1980 and, and, and 1983, there were, there were, as I say, seven different reissues. And all of these came with a different, what they call a skirt. So it, it came with a little cardboard sleeve that sat on the, if you imagine it sitting on Vader's shoulders and coming around the base. So that would change. The stickers which came with the, um, with, with the set would, would change to sort of reflect the, the latest uh, waves and the, the inserts would would also change to, re to reflect the, the range at that time. So, you know, they are pretty kind of worthless loose, but they get more desirable if you start to factor in some of these various cards and skirts and inserts and stickers, and they sort of get, get sort of a sense of completeness, then they become a little bit more desirable to collectors. However, in the UK, it was only available as a Palatoy mail-away, and that's how I first encountered this thing. It was advertised... Uh, on full-page ads in things like Marvel, Star Wars Weekly, 2000 AD. And of course, if you want to see one of these, there's there's one in our Looking blog, which is dated the 25th of July, 1981. If you were going to add that to your collection, look out for the one with Prince Charles and Lady Di on the cover. So yeah, in, in the UK, it was it was a mail-away only thing. Although, it, you know, there are, I have heard people say that they, they saw them on shelves and maybe that was part of some Kenner overstock in, in, in later in the line. But but certainly it was only ever intended to be uh, to be a mailer. I have seen them complete with a Palatoy mail away box, but not very many. I think that's a very rare occurrence to find a Palatoy one in a in its mailer case. But it gets interesting when we get into the pre-production of its follow-up, which was the C3PO case. So for you know those people in the states who were ahead of the game with this thing. A lot of these items came to light and exist in very impressive collections because they, they are interesting and intriguing items. So when they were creating the C-3PO case, they used the Darth Vader cases at Kenner to just test how well the vacuum metallization process would take to these things, how robust it would be when they were mailed and shipped around. And it's one of these that was just made an absolute star of the collecting world when it appeared on 
Star Wars from Concept to Screen to Collectible by Steve Sansweet, who we've had on the show before and talks at length about this book. But, you know, that was the first time I saw this gold fader collector's case. And he's like, what is that? And it turns out it's a it's a pre-production piece and one of several that, that range from, you know, the white mold test version, the, the dull gold version and this this glorious, you know, bright gold it's like the uh, the Indiana Jones icon from Raiders. It's just this uh, amazing piece, and I'm sure it would be the centerpiece in anyone's collection. So, as, as far as iconic Vader items go, it's it's certainly up there. Cheers, mate. Yeah, I've got a completely beaten up one, which which I can't remember when I got. I think most collectors who have been around for a while have managed to acquire one. If I were a better man, I'd say we'd all have one. I still got my original one. Yeah, it's got brilliant. it's got stickers on the back from the cinema from when I went to see Return of the Jedi, and it's the the fun products ones, the ones that are sort of little art shaped, and they've got some Jedi characters, and there's sort of three arranged on the back, sort of in a triangle to sort of nice. mirror the shape. So yeah, my my original childhood one is still there with the stickers of the figures i had at the time which is brilliant proved to be a good reference and a little accessory box nice yeah. what about you Stu? dan i'm sure you must have one i have a nice one in a collar it's got all the, the collar with it and i think i've got an extra couple of inserts that i've picked up over the years of the you know they've got the character inserts of you know with the, the figures you can collect so i've picked a few variations of that up and i've kept them them all inside of it that was i think from for me and ian sanderson back in the day but i've had so many when you pick up job lots of figures the amount of times i picked up a vader carry case and but they're brilliant aren't they just having it on a shelf again it's that sort of imposing helmet just looking down i, I think they're great quite an underrated piece and then they don't break the bank we we actually had one uh, as a kid like i say my my star wars toys were handed down to me but it's strange it was always knocking around but our figures are always kept in an old ice cream tub. So, you know, I don't I don't ever remember the figures being in it. It was just this head that seemed to knock around <laughs> bedroom to bedroom kind of thing. But um I've like Dan, I've I've owned many in collections. I would I would love one, like a nice proper one, same with three PO head, but I've never got around to buying it. I've got one on display, Jez. I think you were the person that put it where it is and it's still there. <laughs> teamwork <laughs> brilliant right now before we go on to the next the next part of the show something occurred to me earlier on which rarely gets mentioned on podcast snatch wars now what do i mean by snatch wars i'm not sure it's the right show <laughs> i love snatch wars i was watching it the other day <laughs> can you explain can you describe what Snatch Wars is, Dan, for those people who might not be aware. So there was a movie, Guy Ritchie movie, sequel to Lock, Stock and Barrel, Two Smoking Barrels. I think it came out in 2000 called Snatch. And there's a character in there called Bricktop who likes to feed his victims to pigs. He's a, he's a East End gangster. And uh, yeah, he uses lots of colourful language. And there's, yeah, someone was inventive enough to take Bricktop's dialogue and edit it into a number of scenes replacing James L. Jones. <laughs> With brick top, I can't, I, even, I can't even. I don't think I can quote any of the lines from it. No, you can't. <laughs> you you can't quote any lines, but it's just, yeah. Put a sock in it, Turkish. It's just brilliant. It's 
if, if you're in a bad mood or if you're in a low mood or, or things just getting you down, just put on Snatch Wars. Don't worry. It is fine. Get a Snatch Wars on YouTube and you'll watch this because you would have never seen Darth Vader scenes like this. It goes on for about seven minutes or so. It's brilliant. But yeah, good fun. Bricktop played by Alan Ford. And uh, yeah, definitely just worthy of mention in our Darth Vader episode. What have you got to tell me that's so important? There's no one on board, sir. According to the log, the crew abandoned ship right after takeoff. Good. That takes care of one little piggy. Now find me the silly sods who blagged the bookies. Find them today. Get me a scanning crew in here on the double. I want every part of this ship checked. So lads, Darth Vader, amazing as we know. Now I, I'm already guessing, Dan's already put it out there, that it's probably the most dominant figure in my collection. I look around my Beyond the Toys stuff and a good proportion of it is Darth Vader. Now what have you got in your collection? What particular things do you like or, or stand out or what else have you seen that's available online? The answer to that question is the earlier stuff is always more interesting than, than the later stuff, which we've already discussed in terms of how the the way things merchandise have changed. So, you know, I've got a, a few of my favourites and they all seem to fall, you know, in, in that first movie era. So the first thing I'm going to bring to the table is a kind of two-part Beyond the Toys item. Uh, and it starts with a company called HC Ford or HCF, who were a UK producer of novelty items and stationery who took over the license to produce Star Wars stationery from Helix in the UK. Uh, and they produced a Star Wars branded line in 1982 that had a decidedly Empire Strikes Back flavour. And as part of this big range of stationery, they produced six pencil toppers. What's notable about these is rather than referencing the movie characters. These are clearly based on the action figures. So we've got Luke X-Wing, got Chewbacca, got Han Hoth with his hood up and goggles on his head, got Yoda with a snake around his shoulders, R2 with the big central round blue eye and a sticker body. Um, but most remarkably is the Darth Vader is moulded with a sleeveless vinyl cape with his arms straight by his side with a lightsaber emitting straight from his right hand. And it's quite clearly based on the on the action figure. 1983, following year, saw a new set of toppers that were created for Return of the Jedi, of which five were new with this crazy Vader. <laughs> it persisted. It was repeated in the line. Now, here's a question for you. Does anyone know how to tell a 1982 HC Ford pencil topper from a 1983 one? Enlighten awesome. me. Yeah. I've, got, I've got one in my hand now. I've got a Vader okay. in front of me. So the 1983 one is taller. So the one you've got, Dan, do you have anything to compare it to? Uh, <laughs> I've only got one. So <laughs> it's probably about the first two, about half the size of my index finger. <laughs> if that's any help, I don't know much well, I think it's the other. That probably really helps, Craig. <laughs> terrible gauge. I don't know. Uh, what is he next to? He's probably... Oh, Oh, my God, I can stand him against. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Well, I think my career in uh, in dial-up valuations and identification has stalled at the first hurdle. Well, hold so, on then. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go yeah. with the cameras. Hold on, I'm going to switch my camera on. Oh, I'm going to go, I'm gonna have to go and get a couple now. Hold on. There he is. Oh. Okay. 
to that. Yeah, I'm going to guess that that is an Empire one. I hope so. Then good name. <sighs> this is going to come back now. Again. All mine are behind. Yeah, none of us. <laughs> Pull it back a little bit. I think that's a 1982 one. Good. So it's your Empire one. So it fits beautifully in your collection, Dan. Very nice, Craig. Good. Is this now good you, podcasting? You've you sent me a picture, actually, <laughs> of the Empire one on top of the Jedi one. Uh, and the two of them on top of each other are almost the height of a three and three quarter inch figure. What is that very large sort of ceramic thing to the left of it? Well, I think a pencil topper based on an action figure is cool enough, but this gets another level of abstraction with a ceramic money box that's based on the pencil topper that was based on the action figure. And there's also a similar one for Chewbacca. Now, these are widely considered to be bootlegs and you never see them really attributed to any specific maker. But the stoppers, if you know, you're know you lucky and it's not been swapped around with, a, with another one over time, are stamped with R Moss Limited. Whether that is the manufacturer of the money box itself or whether it's the manufacturer of the plastic stopper is a little bit of a debate. But if Etsy and eBay are to be believed, there's quite a collector's market for R Moss items. And these all tend to be really cheap looking <laughs> money boxes from the 70s and 80s. So this company was also responsible for money boxes of Dusty Bin and very dodgy-looking ETs and Postman Pat Banks. Now, if I was a betting man, I'd say they, they're probably produced by a company that was enterprising enough to just smash a few out. And, you know, the things I've read about these in, in various groups, forums, and, and, and things sort of suggest they were that very low-end, sort of fairground, seaside-type uh, novelty but i think you know if i had to pick a favorite item for a, a favorite vader item for my collection i think this curious little sort of vader with its one and two degrees of separation from the original figure are just a really nice little sidebar to to star wars collecting lovely thanks for that mate dan you you shared some pictures of some darth vader badges and that took yourself and Craig down a little sort of rabbit warren of discussion and, and discovery. Yeah, so I think we're probably all familiar with with factors, or at least heard of them. I I just I just had them kind of penned as just they'd made a handful of badges and that was it. But there were a lot more through research just for this little bit now that they're they're involved in a lot more. So I've been collecting fan club items now for probably the last five or six years i've got a full run of banford tracks i've got a nice patch display I, i'd stayed away from the factors patches just because they weren't really fan club but i've come to discover that factors actually printed and made manufactured a lot of the stuff that was sold part of fan club so it's all kind of connected so factors were based in in delaware out in the states and they were one of the very first um star wars licensees and they, obviously the easiest thing you know while these toys were being designed and manufactured out in the far east the easiest thing to produce was t-shirts so they produced initially a range of of, of t-shirts um one of which was darth vader rather than darth vader lives and i, I just always assumed that this was kind of some kind of knockoff or um bootleg item but this was an a, an official release um that, that there's i was looking through the the star wars vault book last night by our good friend steve stansweet Apparently, I'm a fanboy, Stu. 
and and there was a um an image a promotional image of several star wars characters i think there's a stormtrooper r2d2 c3po uh chewbacca and darth vader all in you know costumes from i don't know if they were screen news but they were you know high quality costumes for back then so you've got to assume they've come from lucasfilm each wearing a t-shirt and darth vader is wearing the darth vader lives so <laughs> how the hell this got through marketing and signed off with this 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 glaring spelling mistake who knows but they 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 produced it on a number of items so they you got the the badge that everyone's probably familiar with which came in in two sizes you've got the, the large size badge and then the, the, the smaller version there was a, a patch that was released carded and also this this t-shirt so it's kind of yeah, across the board and then you add another um and Greg, you might be able to help me with the name of the company. There was another um, range of badges with the Star Wars logo in the corner. St. Aberdeen Associates or someone, was it, who released that short run of Bennett, badges? I think there were Bennett's. Bennett's. Bennett's of Glasgow. Bennett's of Glasgow. Got my Scottish cities mixed up. Who, who also released it with his, <laughs> yeah, with his spelling mistake on. So you've got, yeah, this Darth Vader lives. And it's, you know, whenever you go to any of these Star Wars reference books, certainly the, the Sand Suites one, he's, he's constantly calling this out, this spelling mistake. It's it's quite funny. It got through and it's a, an officially licensed item. And on, on when I was looking through the Star Wars collector's archive, someone's actually called out, uh, I think it was, um, let me just find it now. They've called out a badge, a bootleg, an actual bootleg badge where it says Darth Vader is alive and well. It's actually spelt Vader correctly on the bootleg badge, but then they've at the very bottom, rather than writing Star Wars, they've done a star symbol with wars next to it. It's a very peculiar badge, but a really good image of him. So yeah, it's uh, it's obviously uh, people were having a poke at the uh, official item, getting the getting the spelling wrong. So bootleg spells it right, official spells it wrong. And Correct. As you said, you've got the image then of Darth Vader wearing that T-shirt. Is that right? Yeah. 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 yeah, and it's not the only time we've seen Darth Vader wear clothing. So I dug out earlier on the Christmas, or oh, it's the Christmas comic, twenty five P. Oh yeah, uh, num- number twenty eight, December the twenty eighth, nineteen eighty three. You've got Darth Vader wearing a Christmas hat, a Christmas jacket, or a Santa suit on top of his outfit, and gloves, <laughs> red gloves, handed out presents. Luke's got one from Dad. And Han's got one from Uncle Darth. So, yeah, Aww. great little spot. And, uh, the, yeah. The, the, other, the other thing, just to point out, so is in the, I don't know if, you, if you've got the Star Wars vault, there's lots of um, kind of little inserts and stuff in there. And there is a, a T-shirt transfer on there. And the one that's in there has got, it's a logo error. One that, I don't know if it ever made it out to market, but I think the point that Steve Santee was trying to make was they, they corrected the logo on this, I think it's the one with Darth Vader's helmet with almost a TIE fighter flying through it. So there was a an incorrect logo that was used and they corrected it, but they never corrected the Darth Vader lives. But yeah, nice nice item with a funny spelling mistake. You don't often see many of those. <laughs> Maybe Wookiee being spelled incorrectly, but yeah, I'm not, I don't think there's any examples of uh, a Vader. I wonder how many arguments it caused on the playground about the correct spelling of Darth Vader. <laughs> no, that's yeah, a great yeah, it's a great it's a great item. It comes from those days when like slogan badges were a real thing. Like I shot JR, this idea that Darth Vader lives because the last time we saw him was spinning off, you know, and his fate was not 100% confirmed. It's just sort of people engaging in, in, in the narrative. It's lovely. 
and that's still now on the latest generations with the whole Ahsoka lives, which you hear people <laughs> screaming at every celebration and stuff, and you get old Filoni out. Um, yeah, brilliant. Now, before we jump on, just going through my own little collection, I, I don't know where to begin with regards to Vader stuff. There's a few things which I absolutely love. The only miscard, the only miscarded item of Star Wars which I have is a Star Wars, what should be a pencil sharpener. And it says it on the packaging, Star Wars figurine collecting series pencil sharpener. But it's actually a tape dispenser. Now this is the uh, Stuart Hall company, the Butterfly Originals and the Cherry Hill. So yeah, Stuart Hall, we've all seen this sort of stuff, standard stationary bits and pieces. But yeah, a tape dispenser, but marked up as a pencil sharpener. I love that. And then um, safety metal blade scissors. So this is scissors with little sort of holographic. I'm not quite sure what these things are, where the picture changes is just as you look at it on a different angle. It's got Vader's helmet and then Shuttle Tidarian. And yeah, so these are scissors with metal blades for ages three years and up. There's no way I would give these to a three-year-old kid. But there we go, different times, all good stuff. But I think the big one, oh, I don't know how to choose it. I, I ordered these two when I was in Afghanistan. So both of these items got sent from America to Afghanistan. The first one is the Darth Vader Wilton Party Pan, which is an Empire Strikes Back piece. So it's a sort of aluminum, or aluminium, Empire Strikes Back character. So fill this up and you've got a Darth Vader cake face. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I've not seen one of these in the UK before and it, it's stunning. But the other one, which is the massive Darth Vader speakerphone. So that's a really, really cool piece, which I am going to get fitted up to the UK system. So it's American Telecommunications Corporation, the Darth Vader statuette sort of speakerphone. It's, it's brilliant. But one of the things which is weird about this packaging is whilst it says Darth Vader speakerphone, it doesn't have any other Star Wars logos, racetrack, nothing really associating it with Star Wars. Now I say that, I'm going to look at it on every single side. So yeah, on one side, you've got a picture of Darth dueling with Luke. Just says Darth Vader speakerphone on the front, Darth Vader speakerphone. Again, Luke, Vader, uh, Luke and Vader dueling. Yeah, nothing at all on this saying Star Wars or Jedi or Empire. But it came out in 1983. But it's, it's just a brilliant piece. I guess the other thing which I've got, which I think is really cool, is the uh, Ben Cooper fun poncho mask in hood, which is a really strange thing. It look, looks like the sort of poncho you get at Alton Towers or Drayton Manor if you're on the log flume. But yeah, a big yellow poncho with some sort of dastardly mask and Darth Vader with Star Wars on the front of it. Absolutely brilliant. So mm, wonderful stuff. What about you guys? What else have you got? Well, in, in our attempts to bring structure and order to this section, we flip-flop around <laughs> different ways of doing it. One of the things you challenged me with was finding uh, a top Vader-inspired consumable product. So I guess by consumable, we mean something that you, you use it up and wear it out. 
if I don't get a nice sound drop in the end. <laughs> yeah, use it up and wear it out. And I didn't mean a pen topper as well. In addition to your pen topper. How is that possible? So I was going. I was going to go with the Helix Vader Eraser, as I always feel that these. His steampunk gauges on his chest plate are worthy of greater admiration. But we've already done a bit of stationery. And Vader has always done particularly well in the bathroom category here. So a couple of notable mentions. So one to the Addis Skittle bubble bath bottle from the UK. And it's US Contemporary, which is the uh, more figural Omni shampoo and bubble bath uh, container that was released at the same time and the awesome store display that accompanied that and there were there were there were a couple there was an r2d2 kind of inspired one with a dome and and uh polystyrene shells but there was also another one that that had probably the best use of that rapper vader where he's got his arms folded and he's flanked by his royal guard djs it's just a, it's just a stunning piece uh and we'll, we'll we'll put some images of that on the enhanced but it was the it was the uk Clearo or Clyro range from 1978, which just for me is, is is a beautiful thing. It features some really really stunning original illustrations of Vader across the whole range, but he's features on his own label of both a standard shaped bottle of bubble bath, but also is this wonderfully naive blow molded figural bottle. Uh, it's got a giant head and and tiny legs, and it's just it's just a lovely thing that comes in this gorgeous window box that should you ever flatten one out reveals vader in this saturday night fever pose with his with his finger in the air uh, and it's uh it's it's just it's just a great piece absolutely packed with charm and just the essence of that era and if you open the bottles the smell of that era as well and I know that the the wacky copywriting for these have featured on other podcasts before now, but it never gets old. So here's what it says on the bubble bath box. Have a wicked wallow in Darth Vader's gorgeous galactic bubbles. Let his extrasensory power wash over you. And don't worry, you will come out shining like a Jedi Knight. Just pour one capful under the force of your taps. You love all that, don't you? <laughs> I just think he's, he's so seventies, charming, you know. And I think we've lost a lot of that with with the you know the the structure and the rigidity of mm. corporate guidelines these days. It's, it's nice that this stuff is is there. It's nice it exists. Yeah, the other item I picked out this will be I'm coming in left field with this one is the Darth Vader in flames cast and crew items that they had and subsequently re-released in the fan club so you've got the you know the guys that when they were out in norway all had the patches on their arm with a darth vader in flames kind of uh, it's got kind of got like a semicircle on the top and it's squared off at the bottom it's got the empire strikes back logo some flames in the darth vader mask so that made it onto obviously the patch there was a sticker release for it and they also used a similar image for the Happy Empire Day badge they gave out in uh, at cinemas when Empire was originally released in the UK. But yeah, I think it's such a such a great little image when you think how Darth Vader ends up at the end of Return of the Jedi. It kind of foreshadows some of that as well. Brilliant, Craig. Hey, I love that finger in the air like it's on Saturday Night Fever. That, do you know what? I'd seen all that, but I hadn't necessarily noticed that because it's dark on a bit of a sort of dark background and I think I was looking at the rest of the packaging the fact that you've just highlighted that hand up the finger up 
like he's sort of I don't know Kipchoge finishing the marathon or <laughs> someone's Saturday night fever I think it's brilliant I absolutely love it really do it's not something you would notice because it's on three sides of the of the design so it's only you know I think I was scanning it for for record's sake or something and I noticed it I just thought, somebody's really thought about that no it's cool Dan, there was one other thing which you shared, wasn't there? So the the Arkhamus Darth Vader costume. So I think it's very similar to the costume you called out, Jez. The uh, it's sort of like a poncho, but I think it's less of a just a wearable poncho. Then it's got all the graphics of Vader's costume on the front of it. Now I've got a photo of me wearing this somewhere when I would have probably been four or five. I got it for I remember getting it for Christmas. It comes with a nice Darth Vader mask. Um, I had a little lightsaber, must be some sort of knockoff one I had as a kid, and I would not take that thing off. All the vi- it's all kind of like a vinyl plastic, and it all tore away. But yeah, I picked up one of these. I think it was last year, and yeah, it's a great little thing. I'm not brave enough to try it on though, because I think <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to. But yeah, I'm, I don't want to do the kind of before and after. <laughs> yeah. See, now you've just said that, I was like, well, maybe I could crack out my Star Wars fun poncho, <laughs> <laughs> but that's like you know you graded isn't it I, I don't want to do that this is sealed yeah. the package mine is mine's pretty pretty beat up um the box itself the the windows pushed in a little bit but it's really interesting again it's you know the uk design what they've included on this i mean on on, on the top of it it's got the star wars empire strikes back and return of the jedi logos it's using an image of darth vader on one side from it looks like it's from empire strikes back never seen that used on any packaging and the and the back of it it's got there all the other other ones that are available. So there's a C3PO, a Chewbacca, and a Stormtrooper. Yeah, one size fits all apparently, Jess. So I might be able to get into them. I'm sure somebody <laughs> will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe that the two variations on that box. So there's the yes. one with the yeah, there's one the Empire style one, which I have seen associated with the Australian market. Right. And then the other one with the Star Wars logo, which seems to fall in line with the ones that are more sort of the UK full range of of characters. Yeah. I'm not normally into this sort of thing, but because I did remember having this one as a, getting this one Christmas day one year, I've uh, I've picked it up. But yeah, it's nice. What are the chances of you finding that photograph of you? I'll have to day? go around my mum's and dig it. I think, it's a, I think it's a Polaroid. I need to go and see if I can dig it out. That would, Polaroid, that would... eh? Posh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will see what I can do. Awesome. I mean, we've gone through some great things. We've gone, through, you know, some of the stuff Bill was saying about what what he's got and the challenge he sets people of trying to find stuff which which they haven't put Vader on or or Vader doesn't feature on. You know, golf clubs, checkbooks, condoms. Vader is everything. I mean, from a focus point of view, it, it's incredible. Luke Wilkinson has just shared with me a uh, two pack. So Star Wars: Return of a Jedi two pack vader and a jawa so to get two first 12 figures i mean you rarely get one first 12 they're generally return of the jedi figures uh, so to get a vader and a jawa on one of those is incredible it's really really good so that's an awesome one of luke's and i've also seen a really sweet miss card online which was darth vader on a chewbacca card which is pretty cool you know there, there, there's so many great things out there but did you guys see the post which Pete Vilmer put on the little booties. The little yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love these. I was, I was really tempted myself, quite frankly. Here they are. Oh, these are amazing. 
1970s Darth Vader booties. These small booties, which measure about five and a half inches long, were sold in supermarkets, drugstores, etc. back in the 70s. It's unclear if these 20th century Fox had actually licensed these at the time. There is some evidence to suggest they may have, but there is no mark or brand on them. To my knowledge, there was a C-3PO version and a Chewbacca version as well. It's a great early item that rarely comes up. So, oh, he has edited it. Upon closer inspection, I did find the 20th century Fox trademark on the back of the helmets. Oh, wow. So, yeah, these are bright blue booties, which look like they should be in Monsters, Inc. or something or other. And then they've got a big 3D Vader's helmet with matching blue lenses on them. I mean, they're, they're tiny, but they're absolutely wonderful. And they've just sold uh, earlier a few hours ago for $250. But yeah, absolutely stunning. Absolutely brilliant. I, I love them. Yeah, really cool. Yes, your thoughts betray you. Your feelings for them are strong. So Craig, Generation Skywalker, as you know, all eras, all passions, all styles. We don't just do podcasts, do unboxings, do the enhanced shows. But you're also a dab hand at the blogs. Now, without giving too much away, what's your latest blog about, Q Vader? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a blog post inspired by a little bit of research I did after stumbling on an unusual image of Darth Vader in the 1979 Ballantine calendar. So this is a really cool onset photo of Vader that's been shot through an open door as he strides through Tantive Four. And I think it's it's really up there with some of the classic stills from the first movie. But it's it's just not it's not a famous Star Wars image and got me thinking as to why. So this blog kind of ponders its origins, but it also looks at what makes it a good image. And then, and then it goes down a little bit of a rabbit hole into some of the geometric symbolism within this image and other famous images like it. So what on earth do I mean by geometric symbolism you'll have to go and have a read as a blog it's quite short by my standards and you can find it if you visit generationskywalker.com and you go to the, the blog section in the top navigation bar and follow the drop down men menu to lost vader images have a look tell me what you think see if you agree with me i think it's a great image impressive most impressive you and i discussed it offline shared a couple of images and uh, yeah, it's great. So I can really encourage people to go and check it out. Craig, thanks so much for that. Your blogs are always knocking out of the park. Cheers. So it's time now for us to go back to Bill McBride, where I put him on the spot with some rapid fire questions. So here we go, Bill. Rapid fire round. I'm just going to throw a few questions at you and we'll, we'll see how this goes. All right, then. Are you ready? I am ready. Good stuff. Carded figures. How many do you think you have? 110, 115. Roger that. What's your favorite one and why? Uh, Hello Force Vader, standard. I just love the aesthetics of the card. I think the card design, uh, everything about it is just, just beautiful. It's, I'd, I'd want to have a poster of it. Favorite Vader line? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, I don't know, I have you now. Perfect. Easy. I bet you say that every time you get something new in your collection as well. 
I digress. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's your favorite Darth Vader consumable? There was, well, I've never tried it, but there's Darth Vader uh, beer from 1978. Ooh, I bet that's got a kick. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite Vader scene? The end of Empire after uh, Luke and Vader fight on Bespin and uh, Luke's getting taken away on the Millennium Falcon and, and Vader is just looking out out the window in the Star Destroyer. And it's just one of those like surreal moments. He reaches out through the force and he's just calling to Luke. Yeah, definitely that one. What's your favorite piece of Darth Vader themed clothing? Uh, Japanese motorcycle jacket from 1999. It's the only, the company only did, I think, 200 of those. Uh, it's a beautiful piece, all leather, embroidered. It's, yeah, so that's definitely my favorite Vader wearable. Awesome. What's your favorite piece of Darth Vader themed ceramics? It's actually a ceramic copy of the 15 inch Vader that was done. I've never found the manufacturer, but it's actually a lamp. So it's the 15 inch Star Vader figure but uh it's solid ceramic and uh yeah functions as a lamp so definitely that one brilliant and to end this rapid fire round crazy absolute what, what's the most sort of what's your craziest most bonkers piece of vader sort of memorabilia i think i think that would be the actual uh it was like a japanese kind of a gumball machine that they use at retail that actually, instead of dispensing candy, there were uh, tiny balls that actually had little toys in them. This thing is crazy. It's actually like a retail piece, 100%. It was never intended for consumers. But uh, yeah, the thing is like three feet three feet tall. It's got a huge, you know, Vader helmet on the top. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the one of the ones I'll put out and just people just sleep. <laughs> they just can't figure it out. So yeah, that's that one's definitely one of the crazier ones. Brilliant, thank you so much. Uh, Bill, that's your rapid fire round over. Bill, once again, thank you so much. Good work, Commander. So this time of the show that I'd be saying what next month's figures are. But I think this is going to be next week's figures or, or figures in 10 days or so. Because as you know, we should also this month be doing the Emperor's Royal Guard, the Imperial Dignitary and the Emperor. So that will be on show 17. Right. Now over to you, listeners. What do we miss? What did you find interesting? Who wants to come on the next show? Who should? Contact us at generationskywalker at gmail.com. We are all over social media. We've got Generation Skywalker on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and we also have our dedicated We Are Generation Skywalker group on Facebook. We do various unboxings and Skywalker blasts. You can check out everything on Generation Skywalker's YouTube channel, or even send us a voice message at generationskywalker at gmail.com. Now I must say thank you so much to Bill McBride for giving up so much of his time to come on and uh, talk to us about his collecting. Bill, it was absolutely brilliant to have you on board. And thank you so much to Mark Andrews and Jamie Acott with the Variant Villains for giving us the lowdown on Darth Vader. If this is the first time you've listened to those old fossils, have a little look at our back catalogue. Go back and listen. Start the most recent and work backwards. Lock in Generation Skywalker. There is so much to listen to, so subscribe to them all and just, yeah, delve in. All eras, all passions, 
or Star Wars. Get amongst it. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. So, it's goodbye from Dan. Cheerio. It's goodbye from Stu. See you later. And it's goodbye from Craig. See you in a few days. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. We are Generation Skywalker. All eras, all passions, all Star Wars. <laughs>